I think I can't say that I actually remembered her the first time I saw What Women Want because I definitely keyed in on her in The Wedding Planner. And yeah, it was like it was really interesting because anytime you're in a movie with Jennifer Lopez, like obviously Jennifer Lopez is stealing all the focus because she's stunning and she's powerful and she's good at acting and she's funny and all these things. But I was like, that girl playing her friend is like hanging in there. She's really she's oh, she is. She's holding her own. Absolutely. When she's throwing the plates at like that one (laughs) wedding and everything, like getting into it. And then when she becomes that like evil best friend in 13 going on 30. And I'm just like, oh, awesome. And then she shows up. Then she start, you start recognizing her in everything. And she's in Elizabethtown. And she's in 27 Dresses. And she's in Cursed. And she's in uh, Arrested Development. And 150 other things where she's like that person. And I remember hearing an interview with her. And she was like, it was, she was coming off of a book. Like she wrote a book that is literally called, I'm sorry, I don't know what you know me from. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest title. Right? And it's the perfect description for like who she is. And she's so funny. And even when she's done some slightly dramatic stuff is really good. But I've always tried to sort of couldn't understand how does she not have her own vehicle? Like how has she not had her own sitcom or rom-com or whatever? Like give her a rom-com called The Best Friend. That's a great idea, honestly. How has Netflix not made that film already? They probably have. Let's not kid ourselves. They, it's, we, it's so difficult to find anything on Netflix. Do you have this problem? Where I'm like, I'm sitting there searching for like, it seems like an hour now, and then finally I find something, and I'm like, I guess, I guess I'll watch it. <laughs> I get so tired from searching. I get, I yeah. get, I get physically tired. Where I'll, I'll rest on something I want to see. This happened to me last night. I was going through. I'm like, I want to fall asleep to something new this time. And then I end up going, ah, fuck it. I'll just go back and watch Friends to Fall Asleep. Like, whatever. I I don't, it (laughs) doesn't matter. This is how I ended up watching the movie The Perfect Date and the movie Beats with Anthony Anderson. And I was just like, I wanted something on, but I didn't really want to have to pay that much attention. These Netflix movies are perfect for that. Absolutely. They really are the best background stuff you you can find. Obviously, I also watched Breakdown with Kurt Russell, that classic. Well, sure. I love that movie. Breakdown's fantastic. It's so good, man. <laughs> JT Walsh in that movie is fucking stellar. JT Walsh is always, he might be the most frightening character from the 80s and 90s, and that's saying a lot. Yeah, that is saying something. Given all the stunt guys that were getting cast, and you're like, oh my God, yeah. you are terrifying. There's a reason you shouldn't be an actor. You're too fucking scary to be on the screen. Yeah, no kidding, man. But anyway, hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of Cigarette Burns. It's Cole and Jed coming at you with. I. I Maybe my favorite movie, or definitely a top five favorite movie of my childhood. Yeah, I agree with you on that one wholeheartedly. Because it's it's summer and it's hot, and like it's the, <laughs> it's the dog days at this point, and we didn't want to do anything super serious, and we're like, you know what, All Star Game just happened. Let's do a really cool childhood like sports movie. Not that we ever have to get talked into doing sports movies, because um, evidently we we get in a roll. <laughs> So, uh, we are going to talk about Rookie of the Year, but before we do that, Jed, do you have any uh, reviews for us? Yeah, I do, but real quick, like, when you're saying it's getting to be the hot time of the year, it's that kind of time of the year where you just kind of look outside and you're like, <laughs> it just looks hot. It just looks so you hot. Yeah, I don't want to go out there and do anything, because uh-uh. it's just, it looks like it's bacon. I don't, <laughs> I don't need that. No, no, no. But, uh... I, despite that heat, I did manage to get out to the theater and I saw a couple things. Uh, I saw Spider-Man Far From Home, 
the latest entry in the Sony slash MCU collaboration. Uh, this takes place after Avengers Endgame, so I won't spoil anything for Cole since he's still stuck on Ant Man. I believe is the last thing he saw. Yeah, in the but MCU. <laughs> I I still like you're forgetting that my gap in the MCU goes from Thor the first one to Ant Man. Yeah, it's. One of these days, listeners, I'm going to just force Cole to sit down and watch all these films, and mm-hmm. then he'll he'll come around finally. But uh, so Spider-Man Far From Home, 7.2 out of 10. Enjoyed it. Um, I think it was, for me, maybe fell a little short of the first Spider-Man Homecoming. But what really carries this film through is the chemistry between Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Holland. I mean, these two guys are awesome together. Yeah, I've seen the interviews. It's incredible it's they are they are fantastic and the movie as a whole is just like these spider-man movies are lighter uh definitely lighter than the amazing spider-man series which was way too serious with their tone the original sam raimi spider-man spider-man one and two um i think they nailed the tone pretty much perfectly and these last two uh have not been quite as good as spider-man one and two both way better than spider-man three um but this is enjoyable you know it's it really is because of collectively the breath that you have to take and kind of the exhale after Endgame and everything that happened in Infinity War and, and Endgame there. It's just like this is just a good film for that because it's kind of light. You don't feel like the stakes are too, too high. And it's good. It's entertaining. I, I'm interested to see where they take the Spider-Man character because I know that I read that they have to make a billion dollars with this film or the rights go back to Sony and like Marvel's not involved in terms of they don't have to have Spider-Man as part of their film. So they've built everything up with having Tony Stark in Spider-Man Homecoming and kind of making him part of the Avengers. So if it doesn't make a billion, I don't know what's going to happen there. So it'll be interesting time to see what they do with the next one or where Spider-Man shows up again. That's a nice little benchmark to make for your contract. No shit, right? <laughs> God. Now, it, with respect to Tom Holland versus Tobey Maguire. I know the Spider-Man 1 and 2 you're saying are better films, but is Tom Holland a better Spider-Man than Tobey Maguire or are they just different? They're just different. They're both better than Andrew Garfield and that's not a knock on Andrew Garfield as an actor. It's just he wasn't good for the character in my opinion. You he can didn't embody it. You can knock on Andrew Garfield as an actor. That's not a problem. I really do, I really like Andrew Garfield in his certain pocket, right? Like I liked him in the social network. I thought yes. he was good there. He's been good in several things. Uh, Silence, he was very good in the Scorsese film. Uh, he's one of those where like him and Dane DeHaan would be great in a movie together that wasn't a Spider-Man movie because <laughs> both of those actors need serious, brooding stuff. And it's, that's not what Spider-Man <laughs> is, it, the way they tried to do it. I just okay? love it. Andrew, Dane, you can't be happy. You're not allowed to be happy. <laughs> ridiculous like i can't imagine andrew garfield like being good in a rom-com or something like that i just i just don't see it with him i just want to see him in like a a sports movie like i can't imagine he could throw a ball which (laughs) don't worry we're gonna talk about a lot of that later yeah we definitely are (laughs) but no i would say toby mcguire is just different toby had the nerd down more than tom holland every time i see tom holland on screen even though he's supposed to be the nerdy spider-man it's like yeah but you don't look like a fucking nerdy Spider-Man dude. Sorry. Right. You just don't look that part. But you're good. You're a good actor. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. Uh, the other thing I saw in the theaters was Midsummer, or as I like to pronounce it, Midsommar. <laughs> okay. Put a little stank on it there for you. Yeah, no shit. 
<laughs> uh, this is good. This is a horror film. Uh, well, it's really a movie about a breakup masquerading as a psychological horror thriller. It's about 20 minutes too long. It's entertaining, though. It's from the director who did Hereditary. I, I enjoyed it, really. Like, Despite how long it was, I enjoyed the actors. I enjoyed the plot. I thought it was interesting to have a horror movie that takes place pretty much exclusively in daylight because where they are in Sweden. And the plot as a whole was, I mean, it had some issues here and there. There were things that were constantly telegraphed. I don't think they're trying to hide anything. You kind of get that impression as you watch it. You're like, okay, this is what's going to happen next. Okay, that's going to definitely come back and, and all this stuff. But overall, the, the amount of tension that you have throughout the film is what kind of carried it through. And uh, I give it a 6.8 out of 10. You know, a couple characters weren't really written very well, but all the acting was fine. So, yeah, those, that's what I got out to the theater to see. And I'm excited to see some more. I got Lion King this weekend. So, yay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, but for different reasons. Like, I don't think it's going to wow me. I think it's going to be visually incredible. But I'm, I'm very concerned with everybody telling me it's been shot for shot, which I think anybody who listens to this podcast knows that that is my biggest complaint with the Disney remakes and why I'm actually ranking Aladdin over Beauty and the Beast at this point because Aladdin at least made some thematic changes uh, to the story that seem to make a little bit of sense. They fit in the story, but they changed it enough from the original that I have two distinct movies. And it really doesn't sound like that's what happened in this one, but... No, it sounds like this is just an update in terms of graphics. Yep, and when everybody just says, well... Uh, Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen steal the show as Timon and Pumbaa. Well, Timon and Pumbaa stole the original movie. Like, that's the whole... We, we've done it again. Fantastic. You've made the two funny characters funny again, so... Billy Eichner, man, if I can stand him in this film, that's going to be a success for me because I really haven't been able to stand him in a lot of things I've seen him in. I've only seen him in Parks and Rec, and it annoyed the hell out of me, so... Exactly. But I did get out to see a trailer this weekend. <laughs> And by get out, I mean I watched this at work. I saw the Cats trailer, the Tom Hooper Cats uh-huh. trailer that came out today. Yeah, I saw that too. And I, my God, man. Like, I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know what, I don't even know what to say about it. Like, I've never seen Cats. I've never been interested in seeing Cats. I like musical theater, but I've, I've just never been interested in that show in any capacity. I don't know what the story's about. And to give you an idea of how confusing it is, I got a text from Aaron today that was like, holy shit, did you see the Cats trailer? (laughs) And then we had a very extensive discussion where she tried to explain what the Cats musical was about, and I still don't know. I think it's about Cats. Yeah, apparently that literally is what it's about. Like, I don't, (laughs) it's fucking unbelievable. But this trailer, getting back to what I actually saw, because I don't want to judge the movie, but I can tell you the trailer Uh looks like this is going to be the biggest flop that I can remember since, like, you know, Battleship or something. Like, it just looks (laughs) impossibly bad. I cannot believe the way that they did it. Like, I I thought it would maybe be that high-end animation that you're getting from Lion King or something, but... It, it looks insane, and I don't mean that in a good way. So I'm going to go ahead and give that like like a .4 out of 10. <laughs> just the trailer, though. We're just talking about the trailer. Just, just talking about the trailer. The Cats trailer, .4 out of 10. You get .4 because you released it. Like, that's the... <laughs> that's the minimum bar. Well, hey, real quick, though, on the Cats trailer. Um, I've seen it like twice now because I 
literally was like, was I missing something the first time around? Let me watch it again. I wasn't, by the way. But I mean, they literally have the tails just like shoved up the actor's ass. Yep. It's not, it's <laughs> not I'm a like, good, I haven't it's not seen, a good look. I haven't seen like makeup weirdness that bad since I saw Jay Edgar. Where you're just oh, like, yeah. I don't know yeah. what the hell's going on. But I'm so confused by the trailer. It looks absolutely awful. I can't believe they gave Tom Hooper whatever they gave him to make this film. Because like yeah. everybody's in it. Judy Dench is in it. Uh, Jay Hud is in it. Idris Elba's in it. Jason Derulo is in it. Uh, Taylor Swift. Rebel Wilson. Like It's not like nobody's in it. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot believe what the fuck that trailer was. And I would love the people who saw the Aladdin trailer and flipped shit <laughs> and thought that was the worst thing they've ever seen to, to tell me what they think of this, because I, it, yeah. I, I'm having a hard time coming up with words, which I know is great for somebody who has a podcast. Hey, look, the shark couldn't do it either. Sometimes so you're good to go. <laughs> Point four out of 10 for that. Did you happen to see the Maverick trailer, which got released today? Yes, I did. And the reason that I didn't think it warranted a review is because that's how you do a trailer if you don't have a story yet. <laughs> right. So I, right. I, it's awesome. I really liked it. It looks like it's going to be what it's going to be, which is just a lot of flying, a lot of stunts. But it looks clean. It looks good, man. I'm pumped for it. I- I'm pumped, too. The fighter scenes look really good. The other scenes, granted, they didn't show much of the story, Kind of look like an SNL spoof to me, so hopefully that gets cleaned up a little bit, uh, and I hope it all it all comes together. But the fighter scenes look awesome. There were two scenes that I can think of that had to do with story, which was one had Miles Teller at a piano, uh-huh. and the other was just at a casket. So <laughs> I, I really don't know quite what to make of that, but no, that that looks good. So guys making the cats trailers, maybe we just take a cue on the next yep. release. Put Tom Cruise in your trailer. Yeah, yeah. As far as movies go, I'm really excited for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, I, I haven't oh, been God, there me too. by far. Between that and The Irishman, those are the two things I'm the most excited for this year. And yep. so I've been watching a little Tarantino last week. I hit us up with Hateful Eight. This uh-huh. week, I watched Inglorious Bastards, which I, we actually have a guest rating for that. Oh, we do? Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, it's right here. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10! A fucking 10! Oh, that's right, Billy Bob. It is a 10 out of 10. <laughs> you damn right it is. I'd miss Billy Bob. It's good to see him coming it's around It's good again. to see him. You know, he shows up for the good ones. And in Glorious Bastards, man, it's my favorite Tarantino movie. Really? It absolutely is. Like, I think that is Tarantino flexing every muscle. I think the script is brilliant. I think it outdistances Pulp Fiction. I think the complexity of the stories, I think the the brilliance of the dialogue in four different languages is stunning it, it, it is remarkable what he was able to do and you know me like i'm a huge fan of westerns like that that movie yep. is a western it's filmed as a western the first 15 minutes of the scene with lapidite is unbelievable is that scene not a fucking amazing man i could rewatch that scene all the time oh yeah and, and, and christoph waltz is incredible Everybody in the movie is unbelievable. Like Melanie Laurent, I wish she did more stuff stateside. She's yeah. so, so perfect. But, I mean, Fastbender, dude. Like, Fastbender is insane. And How did he not get James Bond off of that movie? That's what I'm saying. This is my introduction to him, and I've been saying for years, Batman needs to be James Bond. It's too old. It's, it's, it's gone. It's over. I mean, Daniel Craig's playing him still. He can fucking do it. 
every single character in that film, whether it's uh, Hellstrom, who's incredible, August Deal's awesome, uh, mm-hmm. Diane Kruger was unreal. So good in that. Like, I had so no good. idea because at that point, like, I kind of only knew her from Troy. And yeah. so that that performance completely blew me away. Daniel Brule, that was the first time I saw him. And I, I was like, I'm going to watch everything he's in. And then when he did Rush, I yeah. was over the moon. But anyway, it, I just think that this is... We haven't even talked about Brad Pitt. No, no. Insanely good. Like, insanely, insanely good. And the scene where he's flexing with Christoph Waltz at the end. Yep. It's just a, it's a perfect movie, man. Like, it is... It is Quentin Tarantino who spent like 10 years, 11 years developing the script, doing every like homage, but doing it well to different filmmakers, to ho- to, to different, you know, aspects of Hollywood. I just, I love every single minute of this movie and it's a long movie. It's like 240, but it's, it's incredible. And it's to me just a much more complete work than Pulp Fiction, which I love Pulp Fiction. I love Reservoir Dogs. I'm, I'm a huge fan uh tarantino uh you know the only ones that i sort of accept i think grindhouse is fun kill bills are kind of whatever to me but i'm a huge huge fan uh of inglorious bastards and i i mean he even thinks it's his masterpiece because it's the last damn line in the movie so who am i to argue (laughs) you know i think it's also a little forgotten to be honest with you because i don't hear a lot of people when they talk about tarantino they bring up a lot of people like to bring up jackie brown as like Oh, that was really the one that was... And Jackie Brown's a great film. It really Don't is. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But Inglorious Bastards is not brought up in the first in the first breath when they talk about Tarantino. A lot of people talk about Django. They uh-huh. like bringing Django up. And I think this is superior to Django. But when you have a director or an auteur with his stature that has his resume, it's just... You can pick anything because they're all so fucking good. Right. And the amount of quality that he's been able to churn out. And the fact that he says... Man, after after my next film, so after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's got one left because he's only doing ten. Right. Ten and done, and then he's going to write novels or whatever. Well, I'm not the biggest reader in the world. I'll, I'll admit that. I'll be reading whatever the fuck he turns out because his writing is fucking amazing. And I just, when when you watch this movie, like that, that's the thing that sticks out to me is A, the visuals, and he does like four different styles of filming, and I love how it's in five different chapters, and they're sort of done in different styles. They're wonderful, but the the layers of the dialogue are are just next level and it was an impossibly good year for movies like that was hurt locker year that was the year avatar came out um one of your one of your favorite movies uh up in the air came out yep. that year so i mean it was just an unbelievable year for film but uh inglorious bastards 10 out of 10 if you haven't seen it watch it it, it really is it was kind of controversial when it came out and i, I think critics are kind of split on what they like about it, what they don't like about it. And I think that that's what Tarantino does best is inspires that conversation. But to me, yeah. it's a perfect film. It's perfectly acted. You'll, you really, I don't think we'll see a better performance than Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa. I, I just, I can't imagine anybody else in that role at all. So 10 out of 10 for Inglorious Bastards. Um, we're going to shift gears a little bit from Inglorious Bastards though and <laughs> get into... Rookie of the year, man. Are you ready for this? Funky butt loving. <laughs> Gosh, Henry, you should play for the Cubs. Mom, come on. I got a game. Henry thinks that he's actually going to play today. Henry Rowan Gardner had a dream. Rowan Gardner, get it right. Play in the major leagues. Only one thing. I got it. 
stood in his way. Home! Home! Reality. Until one day, everything fell into place. How long will he have to be in the cast? August. And now rotate from the shoulder, slowly. Did he say funky butt-loving? Those tendons have healed uh, a little tight. Now, the kid who wasn't good enough for Little League... Mom, watch this! Wait. ...is pitching... Gosh, Henry, you can play for the Cubs! Hey! ...in the big leagues. I'm the new pitcher! person in history to play Major League Baseball. Goodness gracious, Hi, Henry. Welcome to the big show. Now! But what can one sixth grader do against pros like these? Give me the good stuff. Anything he wants. Give them the cheese. This summer, the majors hey, will be answering to a minor. Pitcher's got a big butt. Pitcher's got a big butt. Rookie of the year. Gotcha. I remember seeing this trailer the first time. I do too. I, I remember it, man, because it's. I got pumped. I was like, oh man, imagine that. He gets to play in the major leagues. I don't even like baseball. I played t-ball back in the day, and they stuck me in outfield, <laughs> and I could kind of hit the ball a little bit, but you, as you know, I can't throw. None of that you stuff. You can throw. And so this is like... <laughs> you can throw better than anybody in this movie. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. But so like when I saw this trailer, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see this movie because this looks like an awesome story. Do you remember? Because I think for you... As a kid, like, growing up on the south side of Chicago, <laughs> he's playing for the Cubs. This has got to be something special, a special near and dear to your heart, man. I was about 185 miles south of downtown Chicago, so I was right there on that edge of that south side of Chicago. <laughs> there you go, yep. Yeah, diehard Cubs fan, and when this when this trailer came out and this movie came out, I mean, I feel 11 just thinking about it right now. <laughs> it's, I, I'm so, I was so excited when we decided to do this movie. I've easily seen this movie a hundred times. Yeah. Like, I think I tried to slip in the backyard and break my arm a hundred times after I saw this movie. Cause I was like, quickest way to get on the Cubs, serious injury to your right arm. Pretty much. I mean, now when you saw this film, did you wear your Cubs uniform that you used to wear around town to the theater? You know, there's some shit I wish I'd never told you, but I'm not embarrassed <laughs> by it. All right. When I went to Cubs games and when I went to Peoria Chiefs games, who were a Cubs affiliate in Peoria when I was a kid, I wore a Cubs uniform. You know why? You never know, Jed. It's about preparation. You never know, you never yep. know when they're going to be like, fuck it. Let the kid throw. And so I was ready. It's like that guy who can play drums and like goes to the concert and like, <laughs> if the drummer just breaks his hand, they'll put me on stage. I can do it. I can shine. Yeah, it's just rock star. I can That's be like Mark Wahlberg. That's all it is, man. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, th this movie consumed so much of my childhood, just my dreams, like the, the dream of going to Wrigley Field, getting in uniform and actually playing for the Cubs was 
my ultimate dream as a little kid. So I was all in on this movie and I was looking it up to, to rewatch it because I actually have the DVD cover, but I cannot find the DVD, which means it is stuck in like one of my old like DVD players somewhere, <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's right. But so I was looking on Amazon and I couldn't stop laughing because it says, here's the, here's the description on Amazon. When the cast comes off his once broken arm, a 12 year old boy can throw a 100 mile an hour speed ball. Now, oh Jed, my God, we're going to talk a lot oh. about baseball lexicon in this episode. And uh-huh. I'm sorry, but uh-huh. we have to. But fuck you, Bruce Springsteen. All right. This is <laughs> we're going to do a little uh, segment with Cole called fuck you, Bruce Springsteen. OK, because you wrote a goddamn song and you said, watch out, he'll throw that speed ball by you. Now, Bruce, if you've never played baseball. I don't need you throwing <laughs> baseball terms or what you think baseball terms are into a song. As good or as popular as that song may be, <laughs> no one on earth has ever called a pitch a speedball. And thanks to you, you have a fan working at Amazon writing descriptions. <laughs> it's a fastball. And by the way, the word fastball would have worked in your song. All right? It's not like you needed speedball for any sort of alliteration or rhyming or anything, Bruce. So fuck you, Bruce Springsteen. I don't know. Like, he can sure throw that fastball by you versus he can sure throw that speed. Yeah, I guess the same thing. Yeah, I guess it same goddamn sense. thing. So yeah, it makes sense. Fuck you, Bruce Springsteen. And that is the conclusion of our segment. Fuck you, Bruce Springsteen. So anyway, <laughs> I, I downloaded it. Let's get, let's get through the guts of it before we get into the movie because I'm, I'm clearly kind of overtaken with emotion and too excited for this. So... The first thing I want to talk about, though, is this came out in 93, and this was right in the middle of an unreal, like, teen, preteen era for sports movies. You're not kidding, man. Because we have, here, listen to this run from 92 to 96. You had The Mighty Ducks came out in 92, Ladybugs 92, Rookie of the Year 93, The, the Holy Grail Sandlot in 93, Angels in the Outfield 94, Little Giants 94, Little Big League 94, D2 94, D3 and 96. Like, that run... That's crazy, man. And they're all good. Like, all of the... Well, okay. Maybe not Ladybugs, although I've seen it a hundred times. Uh, check your fucking tone, my friend. You want to take that shit back real quick? Are you going to shit on that Jonathan Brandis classic? I've seen it a bunch. Let's just put it there. Can we agree that that is the most problematic... It has aged the worst. Yeah. I will admit that. Okay? Yes. It has aged the worst. But it just has such a near and dear place in my heart. Yeah, the Rodney Dangerfield molesting child jokes have not aged particularly well in, in 27 years. When, when Rodney Dangerfield is out there coaching soccer and he looks in the car and he's like, I got a lot of balls. How's that not funny, Cole? How do you not still <laughs> laugh at that? I mean, it's not like anyone else could have thought of that joke. Comedy gold. Exactly. But like that runs incredible. And I still, I, I probably watch five of those movies every single year. Yep. Yep. And there's no chance five years goes by that I don't watch all of them. Like there's no way. I mean, even D3, the worst of the Mighty Ducks films by far, but still very enjoyable and watchable. So much fun. That movie's yeah. so much fun. I don't understand how you go from winning the Goodwill games and it being a huge deal and defeating Iceland to... Trying to make varsity at a prep school? Can't make varsity. I don't I don't get it. Well, even even when, and maybe here's the problem, is that Gunner from the Iceland team <laughs> was starting at goal for the varsity at the prep school. 
Yeah. Yeah. We got some recruiting violations going on, I think, at the prep school. <laughs> we got something. All right? We got something here. I love that Julie the Cat shows up in several of these films. Absolutely. We are going to talk about Julie the Cat a lot. Now, for those of you who may not know off the top of your head, Julie the Cat Gaffney is Columba Jacobson, uh, but she will only be referred to as Julie the Cat, her Obviously. character from D2, all right? So, <laughs> so Rookie of the Year was directed by Daniel Stern, who's one of my favorite comedic character actors of all time. The voice on The Wonder Years, by the way, of the narrator. Yep, the voice on The Wonder Years, uh, more notably uh, half of that dynamic duo in Home Alone, uh, City Slickers, mm-hmm. the underrated Celtic Pride. Very bad things. Very bad things. He's just he's just hilarious. There's no other way around it. and He's great. So he directed it. It's written by Sam Harper, who after this wrote Just Married, Cheaper by the Dozen, One and Two, and Rio. So let's just call Sam Harper... The man who wrote Rookie of the Year. I agree, but I'm going to be honest with you. I ride for Just Married. Are you shitting me? I'm not. I'm not. I don't know why, but I laugh every time I watch that fucking movie. And I don't think Ashton Kutcher is very funny. It's Brittany Murphy though, right? It's definitely Brittany Murphy. I just, I don't know. There's something. I don't like the fact that I think it's funny, but I can admit it, man. I think it's fucking funny. (laughs) There you go. You're not proud. You're not proud. I also like the first Cheaper by the Dozen. Number two, I'm not not a big fan of, but uh, number one, number one, I kind of kind of enjoyed there. Admittedly, never saw it. Oh well, you know, <laughs> evidently you're not a big Tom Welling fan. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom Welling, Bonnie Hunt, Steve Martin, that trio just didn't drive me to the theater. You're not even Piper Parabo. That's a shame. <laughs> so, th- this movie is basically a collection of bit actors that are just yep. hilarious and are making a meal out of every single thing that they do. So we've got John Candy, who did a favor as an uncredited role, the announcer Cliff Murdoch, and he's in like 10 minutes of the movie. I don't even understand how why this is uncredited or why he wasn't like, like I don't know why he wasn't on the cover of the DVD, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, and then you got Gary Busey as Chet Rocket Stedman, uh, the aging... <sighs> The aging pitcher, who also plays a love interest, bold move, making him a romantic lead. <laughs> well, have you ever seen a man wear jeans better oh, than Chet Stedman? So high. So high. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so uncomfortable in every scene he's in. I just, I don't understand it. The uniform fits him a little snug. <laughs> Several things are a little tight in this film. Thomas and Nicholas, uh, you would say from American Pie fame if you haven't seen Rookie of the Year, but if you haven't seen Rookie of the Year, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Is this pre-A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court? Yeah, this the, the sequel to Rookie of the Year is essentially <laughs> A Kid in King Arthur's Court. Okay, okay, gotcha. Sorry, I said the book title, my bad. But we'll talk about that Kate Winslet, Daniel Craig classic a later time. For sure. So Albert Hall plays Sal Martinella. You got Amy Morton as Mary, who I think probably does the best acting performance in the entire movie. By far. Well, her and Bruce Altman. Yeah, yeah. Dan Hadaya, who plays Fish, who is easily (laughs) the hairiest man you have ever seen in the history of Hollywood. Have you not seen Robin Williams? Yes, I have. That's why I'm saying this. Like, look (laughs) out. That's a bold statement. There's this great Twitter account uh, that does pictures for premieres. Uh, in Hollywood, and Dan Hedaya uh-huh. makes an appearance on a lot of them, and every shirt he is is just just tufts of hair <laughs> spilling out of his fucking shirts. It's insane. Uh, then you have Bruce Altman as our baddie Jack Bradfield. Uh, he's done a ton of stuff. 
he's just he's he's one of those guys you look up as IMDb's got like 150 things. He was great in Matchstick Man. He's he was Mr. Robot. He's yeah. just a great actor. And then uh, Julie the Cat, obviously. Uh, obviously, Patrick Lebrecht throwing heat as George. <laughs> The best child actor in this film. Oh, man. Oh, man. But then you got guys that you know now, like Neil Flynn and W. Earl Brown, who were yeah. nobodies yeah. at the time. And nobodies. Then, you know, Neil Flynn goes on to be in the middle, really big on Scrubs. W. Earl Brown, fantastic on Deadwood. Um, so there's a lot of people in it you're going to recognize. And it's everybody understands. And, and this is what I think the strength of the movie is before we kind of get into breaking down the plot. But everybody knows the movie that they're in in this film. There is no tone issue. Nobody thinks they're in a more serious movie than they are. And nobody thinks that they're in an even stupider movie than they are. Like, everyone is in the same mindset with what they need to accomplish with their characters. And I think that that lends to the piece coming together as a whole and really working for an hour and 45 minutes. I agree with you completely. And also, nobody tries to do too much and, you know, take away from anyone else. They really play team ball here. Oh, nice. I see what you did there. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So, let's just get into it, man. It starts on what used to be my favorite day of the year. Still a very, very uh, good day for me every year, but my favorite day of the year was always opening day baseball. Like, I was always uh-huh. trying to, like, convince my parents to let me stay home. They never did. But I had a place, like, in my bedroom. I had a beanbag chair because I was cool. And I had, like, I had like a Cubs <laughs> shrine. Like, it's hard for me to express how obsessed with the Cubs, I was. I had Cubs playing cards where I would go through and memorize the numbers and the names. I would. Nice. I had jerseys. I had the starting lineup action figures. I had posters. I would keep score at home when I watched the games. I would pretend to be mm. in the games. I had a lot of friends, obviously. It was very popular. <laughs> um, but I was obsessed with baseball. I played a lot of baseball growing up, and I wanted to play for the Cubs. And I just would sit down and watch WGN. All the time uh, with Cub Games. So I totally understand the excitement of opening day. I also completely appreciate how shitty the Cubs were. Yeah, those were some lean years, weren't they? I didn't know good years until late 90s. We had those juicing years, so those two years were fine. (laughs) Uh, Had a couple years there in the early 2000s, and then they weren't really good until like the last five years. So When was the Bartman year? The Bartman year was 04. Okay. Yeah, so you had some time before they were actually contending for anything. Yeah, there was no there was no uh good Cubs baseball back in the day. So it was like you know, my favorite player was Ryan Zamberg, love Mark Grace. Shit, we had Doug DeCenzo playing <laughs> center field, like this this comedy of errors baseball team. <laughs> and they were lovable. They were always called lovable losers because you could guarantee that they would suck. Like that was that was promised to you as a Cubs fan. You would lose so no money year. ball back then, huh? No, no. Uh, we weren't spending much money, but uh, it wasn't going towards trying to get better, as it were. <laughs> so I, I totally understand the empty sort of Wrigley Field, which I don't think Wrigley Field was ever truly that empty, but... Oh, it was fucking deserted. John Candy, as the announcer, has zero faith in the fucking team. Well, they're having another season here of us not playing well and being a piece of shit. It's an opening day, man. And I want to give him a lot of credit, too, for not doing a Bob Uecker impression. Yeah. Because... Yeah, I agree with you. In every baseball movie since Major League came out, everybody's trying to do a Bob Uecker impression, and you can't do it. It's not doable. Have you heard my Bob Uecker impression? I'm about to. Just a bit outside. Wow. 
Wow. It's like I'm looking at him. I know. It's pretty good, right? It's like once you started saying that, all of a sudden you had this thick mane of white hair and you were drinking whiskey and beating up your color commentator. When they reboot Major League, I'm there. First one in line for auditions. (laughs) So they open up. We open up the movie. uh, Cubs opening day. Now, nobody's there. Henry's not there. Nothing. Just setting up that the Cubs suck. That's really all we need to know for this this scene is that they are terrible. Would they be playing the Giants? Yeah, why not? That's fine. I thought cuz I thought like interleague play didn't start until like later on or something. Yeah, but or... the Giants are in the National League, so interleague play doesn't apply. Oh, are the Cubs not in the National League? The Cubs are in the National League. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, cuz that okay, yeah, so American League would be. Yeah, cuz there's two. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I'm this is going to be a teaching moment for the baseball. <laughs> So, yes, they could play the Giants on opening day. Good. Good to know. They got that right. But I will say, and I think you brought up a good point when we were kind of talking about uh, this a little bit, was the music's actually, like, legit in this movie, I think. It's fucking good. That theme, I always recognize. Right? Like, it's it's a crazy. Le- it's a legit theme. Like, you know. Bill Conti. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Yeah. So, we kind of, they just show the Cubs getting roughed up in the game, and there's a deep fly ball. Oh, my God, another home run. And then fantastic transition from our man Daniel Stern. I think they teach this at the Daniel Stern School of Directing. <laughs> he does this a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I think it's out in, uh, it's a strip mall in La Habra, I think is where he teaches. But <laughs> So it cuts to Henry, our hero, catching a ball against the Ivy in like his backyard or in his neighborhood somewhere. Yep, yep. And he's sort of, you know, his voice is cracking all over the place and he's just like, it's insane, right? It's crazy how much his voice cracks. So I, re- I read an interview with Thomas Ian Nicholas, and he said that they wanted that. That, like, Daniel Stern wanted his voice to be cracking, so he had to purposely try and crack his voice. Okay. Yeah, a little much. I will I will be honest. Uh, Thomas Ian Nicholas uh, took himself seriously in the interview that I read anyway. And God bless him, he's had a nice little career. No complaints. It was a little more method than I thought, like, a 12-year-old well, actor Well, that's what I was be. about to say. Like, I would love if he came in there, like... Just call me Henry. (laughs) I don't respond to anything else. He was also like, yeah, when I was doing the Ray Charles commercial, I was singing a little too well, and they wanted my voice to crack, so I had to ADR Uh that on the back end. (laughs) I'm I'm sure. Have no fucking doubt, you piece of shit. (laughs) No, he is. He is in the Thomas Ian Nicholas band. Okay, okay. That may be very well be accurate, but anyway, his voice is a little distracting throughout the movie, but don't worry, my boy George makes up for it. Yes, he does. Like, he he is the one actually throwing heat this whole movie. He can... Oh, 100%, yeah. And he's coming in, and like, Henry and his buddies, George and Clark, it's clear that they're like three best friends, and they're getting ready to go to Henry's baseball game, and they run into his mom, and they have this, you know, it establishes her as a single mom, caring mom... But I do have a question. Like, is she hitting on Clark? 
Oh, she's definitely hitting on Clark. When she says, hey, George. Hi, Clark. It's so weird. What the fuck? It's so... Every time I watch it, I'm like, what? why Why leave that take in? Yeah, right? Like, I feel like I mean, Come Stern, on, Dan. I feel like Stern had her do like four. Yeah. And he kept the one that made me feel the worst about. Uh, as bad about that scene as I could. Yeah, I agree with you. I love, too, that like she throws him the sunblock because he needs a sunblock for his game. He's standing on the sidewalk... She throws it in the middle of the fucking road. And they're like, oh, nice catch, Henry. I'm sorry. Should I have just backed up and gotten hit by a car for this? I, don't, I just, it never makes sense to me. Like, you can establish that he can't catch if he, like, fumbles it. But not when you throw it 10 feet by him. I'm like, just saying, fuck? he should have been able to grab that. <laughs> okay. You got, you got to get that. But it does establish pretty quickly that he sucks at baseball. And they go, Big time. they go to his Little League game. And he's got, like, well, frankly, a Little League coach that I recognize. Like, not drunk, but sort of... <laughs> Sort of seems drunk, a little uh, little too into it, but you can't really understand what he's saying. A lot of, get in there, kid, you know, all that shit. Little Walter Matthau. <laughs> but on the way to the game, he's like, they got to put me in, man. They got to put me in because if they don't put me in, they got to put Windermere in. And I did like the transition where they're like, Windermere, and a kid. <laughs> but kids out there, a little advice from your Uncle Cole. Uh, if we do have any children listening to this podcast, if you would like to play in a Little League game, do not wear jeans to the game. <laughs> Don't wear jeans. Even little nope. Windermere, with his hay fever and asthma or whatever, had baseball pants on. Yeah. You are not sending the message of put me in the game if you're throwing jeans on to go to your Little League game. I just, I'm, I'm letting you know, as fair or unfair as that may be, you are projecting the idea that you suck at baseball and should not be in the game. I hated baseball pants, though, by the way. What what did you think about them? Because, I mean, I wore them when I played Little League and played all that. They sucked. They're like the worst. I mean, they're stretchy pants. I didn't have a problem with them. I didn't like them. No. Yeah. I was not a fan. No, I no. mean, I, I guess I really didn't give it a ton of thought. But the concept of potentially playing baseball in jeans is a nightmare to me. Yeah, that's even... I mean, that's way worse. Trust me. I know. That's you you just want to play in gym shorts. That's... I, Obviously. I, I why it. not? That's what else do you need? Like, I'm not going to slide. You see me on clay. <laughs> I ain't hustling. Are you kidding? That's not... No. I no, no, no. I ain't diving for that. If it ain't a walk-off, <laughs> I ain't moving. Jed, Jed goes deep or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, when they're at the game, like, you've got Henry doing the classic Little League thing of, like, you know... Come on, pitcher, do whatever, right? And that is a thing. Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, coaches think that communication between teammates uh, leads to better baseball, which they are correct in that. But they think the communication should be like, come on, kid, come on, kid, throw a strike, throw a strike. You got a kid. Like, it's all that shit, right? <laughs> and for some reason, uh, Henry has a dairy-based, come on, kid, sort of baseball approach where all he wants to do is talk about different types of cheese with respect to the pitches. And I've never heard that in real life. Because I was going to ask you, is that is that not a thing? I won't say it's not a thing because I haven't played baseball everywhere. I can just tell you like the 12 or 13 years that I played baseball, I never or any of my teammates were ever like, dude, you got to throw that stinking cheese. You got to fire that <laughs> Limburger in there. He's very well versed on the different cheeses. Yeah, he's like, watch out for that Ched. Don't sleep on the Gouda now. Like, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> make any sense to me why he decided to choose cheese for that but i don't know man maybe that's where that put some stank on it came from <laughs> that's that's gonna definitely be a recurring theme uh in the movie yeah. so it, it just to me lends itself to 
He can't walk. He looks like he's just going to fall over everywhere. He can't run. When he's running, I don't get it. Oh, I don't either, man. He can't run at all. You know, when he's when he's doing when when they finally hit the ball to him in the game, I mean, he was just like like take your hat off. Like you can't just take your take hat your off. Take your fucking hat off. I know. I mean, his running is right up there with Jack Nicholson. Oh, in the, in the Oh god, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which Jack, if you're listening, not a compliment. No, no, it's <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. I love too like Obviously, they're they're showing us in the beginning here. He, he sucks at baseball, but he's got a good group of friends. They're supportive of him. Mm-hmm. His mom's supportive of him. His mom's dating this guy, Jack, who they've been dating for three weeks, and evidently that's the necklace and wear an ugly-ass fucking shirt. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> that silk shirt was awesome. <laughs> Buttoned all the way okay. up. Okay. Buttoned all the way up. Buttoned all the way up. Mystery from neck down, okay? You got to earn that. <laughs> you got to earn that. But I think what's interesting is that we kind of understand why Henry kind of sucks at baseball in a way. Because when mom asks him to go do the laundry, he oh, goes God. down there and he says this. What's this? The Cubs are bringing in the right fielder to pitch? And <laughs> Henry, re, row, row, and Henry, Gardner. The entire season is resting on Rowan Gardner's shoulders. Bottom nine. Two out, one on, full count. Roland Gardner takes a long look at the runner at second. Strike one! So he doesn't know what a full count is, Cole. He doesn't know anything, man. Like, And you pointed this out to me because I don't think I really did before, <laughs> I watched it. before I watched this with you. I don't think I really did either. But This has pissed me off since I saw it in the theater. <laughs> like, I was 10 and was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Who was was in charge of continuity on this piece of shit? I just didn't understand. Full count. Strike. What? What? No, of course not. I can imagine. I can imagine 10-year-old Cole standing up in the theater with his popcorn and his drink and his Cubs uniform on. Going, this is a travesty. How could you guys let this happen? How could you not cast me in this movie? I don't understand. I would have been perfect. Ridiculous. So anyway, back to Jack very quickly. The, the character that they created for him was so great. It was, let's celebrate a three-week anniversary. <laughs> let's have a Miata. Uh-huh. Gotta have a Miata. Which, again, I guess I feel like I should be giving advice out tonight. Uh, fellas, sporting the Miata does not say I own an awesome sports car. I have a pretty good friend who owns a Miata, so I'm going to abstain from saying anything uh-huh. on that front. But I agree. I just want to be clear to listeners, I'm not the good friend he's talking about. No, 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 no. But yeah, no, it's perfect, the Miata. He can't get in, he can't get out. It's it's hilarious. And more than once, he plays it perfectly. Like, Bruce Alba plays it so perfect. Forgets to put the parking brake on, and oh, God, yeah. He's a fucking dick. Henry doesn't like him at all. You know, and we find out more info later on about Henry's mom and, and Henry's dad and that kind of stuff, which... Honestly, sometimes I'm like, I don't think it's necessary, but it is. Like, it really does work because they don't go too heavy in those scenes. And that's the beauty of this film, as you said before. They don't try to do these huge tonal shifts of like, now we're going to get real serious. Now we get serious enough because Henry deadens it with what he says. We'll get to that in a, in, you know, a little later on, but it's well done there. I think right. it's, it's underappreciated. And, and they, they weave it in enough to where yeah. you get yeah. why it's coming up. It's not out of left field. 
but exactly like you said, Good it doesn't one. go it doesn't go so deep that it removes you from the tone of the movie. So yeah, it's it's yeah. just actually really intelligent directing. Honestly, like I I, I don't it really is I don't think in movies like this that people really talk about the direction and the script writing and and sort of those that sort of blocking throughout the film to say let's just hint at it. Let's get the mm-hmm. point across, but we are in a kid's movie. I think it's easy in a kid's movie to have that five-minute scene that is so heart-wrenchingly heartfelt and all that stuff, and it just doesn't fit with the film. And they did a really good job in this one of keeping the train on the tracks. I agree. I had a question for you, though, given that you've played so much baseball. What are your thoughts? Because to me, as someone who doesn't really watch baseball and didn't play too much of it, the Little League was very believable. The pro games for the most part, look pretty good in my opinion. Like I thought they filmed them fairly, fairly well. What, what are your thoughts on that though? As a, as an expert? <laughs> well, first of all, not an expert, but <laughs> the, the little league looked fine. Um, the age that they're supposed to be, um, it looked fine to me. Okay. The major league baseball, like nobody can throw, like it is very obvious that Gary Busey has never seen a baseball, does not know what a baseball <laughs> is. Neil Flynn does not know how to swing a bat. There's just it, it's it. They turn a they turn a double play later in the movie, and the guy, the shortstop, it. I, I don't even know. I don't even know what he did. It it was <laughs> it was Rufus Sewell level bad. The the baseball I think is perfectly fine for the film. It's a little slow. So like the ground okay. balls or the line drives or everything, it just. It's a little slow, but other than that, it looks fine and it absolutely accomplishes what this movie needs to accomplish. Cool. That's, that's good to hear. So this film really starts getting going when we see Henry at school and we kind of see the dynamics there. Obviously they made fun of Henry because he goes to school with the same guys that are on his little league team. He fucked up. He threw the ball out of the, uh, out of the, um, field. And so now, uh, he's at school. They're making fun of him. We see that Julie the cat likes him. You know, in the lunchroom, we can kind of see she's, she's clocking him. She wants some of Henry. Right, right. And I think they did a good job of just, like, doing that awkward preteen, like, that's what you would do if you were in the lunchroom. You'd be like, oh, I like that girl, so I'm not going to sit anywhere near her. Yep. I'm going to be over here, and we're going to talk about her. And she, she maybe she glances over at me, whatever. I thought that was well done and, and sort of uh, kind of cute in the way that they accomplished it. And all the cuteness is totally taken away <laughs> by my man, George. Yep. Cause they're trying to get Henry to go talk to Julie, the cat. They're like, dude, uh-huh. the cat's over there. She likes you. And like, I think even another friend at the table, like one of Julie's friends is like, I don't, she doesn't think you're very ugly, which I guess, <laughs> I guess is <laughs> the compliment. sixth or seventh grade version of she thinks you're good looking. And she's yep. like, whatever, man. Like, it doesn't matter. She's not even that hot. And then George is like... Not that hot. She's stacked. Just look at her sipping that milk. Milk's done that body good. Oh, George. George is uh, George is advanced for his age. I'm yeah. not going to lie. George, George has seen some magazines in his dad's room. This is problematic because we get this sexualization of a young girl that is just... Is not okay. Like, it doesn't work... And it's very unsettling. And unfortunately, the kids are playing it off because that's what's in the script. But you get that too in like Ladybugs where they have the, what, 12 or 13 year old girl like running in a bikini? In slow motion? Yeah. It's dream, 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 dream. <laughs> Sorry, you said Ladybugs. I just, I can't resist. I, I know it's your favorite away. movie, man. 
And so, like, it, it's it's a terrible, terrible quote. They should never have had a young boy say this. They should never have had that said about a young woman. And it's probably the only part of the movie, honestly, that I don't think ages very well at all. Like, it's is not great. Yeah, I I would agree because you know honestly, it's it's crazy, and this is a discussion we've already kind of had at times, but. Shit that just never stuck out to me before sticks out to me now. Yeah, it's it's really crazy, and and it's it's something which it is also so off tone for like how genuinely sweet the rest of the movie is. Like yeah. like when we get into any sort of conflict between the friends or whatever, it's exactly the type of conflict you would have as a twelve year old. Where we'd be like, dude, we got to go work on the treehouse. Dude, what yeah. are you doing? We've got the clubhouse we got to deal with. Apparently, I was in a lot of clubs and treehouses. I don't know, but... Yeah, apparently that's what you were doing. I also think it's interesting. It's not just the quote, but it's the way he says it where he puts his fingers up to his chest. Yeah. And it's like, all right, all right, let's 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 take it back here a second. Yeah, pump the brakes, all right? But, you know, Lebrecht, who plays George, uh, had a pretty incredible 93 to 95 where he ripped off Rookie of the Year Camp Nowhere and Heavyweights. No shit. Which, that's a trilogy. You can hang that up there with the greats of Hollywood. Like, I don't think John Wayne had three movies in a row like that. No fucking way. And he went toe-to-toe with the great Andrew Keegan yeah. in Camp Nowhere. Yep. That's a tough That's a tough task. He's the one who said, Keegan, get out of my store. Exactly. I, I reference that. If I ever go into acting, I'm going to look this guy up because I'm going to need like him to teach me some things. Well, it was one of the, like the Camp Nowhere performance was one of the great snubs in Oscar history. I think that's been Oh, absolutely. A, that's that's absolutely. Without question supported by the evidence. Uh-huh. 100%. 100%. That one scene, you know? What? Anthony Hopkins was in like four. <laughs> yeah, so come on. Like, what are and we talking about? And we're not here? talking about that film anymore. So <laughs> we get to the point, like you said, they're at the school and we're setting up sort of Henry's world outside of Little League and outside of his home. And the, the assholes that were there that are like good at baseball hit him a fly ball, and now yep. we get now we get rolling with the actual plot of the film. So he slips on the ball and he falls and he breaks his arm. And I am not ashamed to admit I have tried this. <laughs> for real, that's not a for joke. For real, that this is, is real. not a joke. I am not I'm not laughing. I went out in the backyard and I was like, I, I wasn't the smartest kid, man. I don't know what you want me to tell you. <laughs> So I ran out and I remember like slipping on the ball and like falling and slipping on the ball. I was like, nah, my arm is not breaking. So it's not going to work. Like I was, I, I didn't actually think it was going to work, but I was like, maybe don't know. I mean, the thing about it is I think where you failed is that when Henry does it, somehow he gets propelled 10 feet off the air and then just falls down hard. I don't know how that's possible, especially with as slow as he fucking runs. Yeah, I didn't have the right ball. You didn't have the right ball. It's also weird to me that, that they had real bats and baseballs at the school. Yeah, they were just hitting around. Yeah, we didn't have that. I didn't have that kind of that kind of space at school. No. No, no, no. Now he breaks like several things in his shoulder, his arm. He needs a cast. One of those where he has to have his arm like upright all the time, so it's at that 90-degree angle. What I love is, though, he's like... Oh, this is going to be a great summer now, you know, sarcastically. Motherfucker's still in school, though. I know, but... Like, I, they show him in school. But I think it's still happening in that April time period. Okay, but he's in school. Yeah, but but they say you're not going to get it off till August, so he may not be boned about the end of school, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Henry a pass on that. I'm going to give the filmmakers a pass on that, all right? We can agree to disagree. We can agree to disagree. 
we end up with a nice little montage showing him like people signing the cash, showing how everyone's like always waving at him because he's got his arm up. It's it's funny. It's cute. It lasts just the right amount of time. And then we get to the doctor's office where they take the cast off. And now they want to make sure he still has his range of motion. And the thing about this scene is, other than the fucking Mount Rushmore quote of quotes that comes out of it, is does nobody hear this rubber band wind up sound whenever he moves his arm? I, I did always wonder that where don't you think the doctor would be like, cause the doctor starts out the exam, like, well, the tendons are fused to the humerus and you know, let's just see if he's okay. And the minute that he like swings out his arm, don't you think the doctor would be like, I'll tell you what's not normal is <laughs> this sort of spring rubber band tension sound that I'm getting out of your son's <laughs> arm. I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about that. Yep. And we then see him rotate his arm from the top to the bottom in front of the doctor's face, and this is the reaction we get. Funky butt loving. Did he say funky butt loving? Yes, he did just say funky butt loving. What I love about George's line reading on that is that the doctor says butt loving, and he pronounces the hard G at the end of loving. Did he say funky butt loving? <laughs> yes, George, he it's... did say that. When I was watching this movie the other night, like <laughs> Rachel looked at me like, why are you laughing so hard? Like, what is wrong? And I'm like, I, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it. It's just too perfect. It's just, it's just fucking hilarious. And the doctor's performance doesn't even overdo the funky butt love. <laughs> no, not at all. It's perfect. It's so good. And then he hits us with, the tendons have healed just a little tight. <laughs> Which, Cole, I think that might be the quote we have said the most to each other. Because no matter, whenever you do anything and like, I hit a ball too far or or whatever, it's, well, the uh, <laughs> tendons have healed a little tight. <laughs> now, guys, I know that you hear us say like, oh, we say that quote all the time. We say that quote all the time. We sadly do communicate in about... <laughs> 83% movie quotes. That's true. It's That's just, true. we're giving you an extra deep insight into our friendship and probably why we started this podcast, but it's also a pretty good insight into why the people around us, when we're talking, roll their eyes and walk away because, yeah. uh, and, and most notably, uh, like Jess and Rachel. Uh huh. Well, look, we can hit the curveball. They can't. <laughs> yeah. You can hit the curveball. Extra points <laughs> to any listener who uh, tweets us or emails us the answer to that one. So, as part of getting his cast off, Mom got him tickets, him, George, and Clark tickets to the Cubs game. All right, I'm really not trying to nitpick. I just literally have legitimate questions. Sure. 1992, 1993, Chicago. You get tickets to the Cubs game. It looks like it's in the middle of the afternoon. Do you let three kids ride the train and go by themselves to the Cubs game to Wrigley? See, I clocked this too, and I don't even think this is a Chicago thing. I just think it's how different like parenting is now compared to what it is then. Like I think in 92, probably like, yeah, take the L go. Cause you could take the L right over to Wrigley field and go to the game, whatever. And when I was watching it, I always now bump on, Holy shit. These three kids like went to this game by themselves. Like that's yeah. insane. Yeah. It always blows me away, but I buy it. I, I think it's a change of the times. I mean, I've, I've got friends who grew up in Chicago that, you know, they took the train to school every day. Like, I don't know really what 
difference it would be leaving your house and getting on the L to go to your school as it is to go into Wrigley Field. So I'm going to I'm gonna buy the premise, but I also don't think there's a chance in hell that happens today. Agreed. Agreed. Well, that's what they say about Chicago is very, very, very safe. That's the north side. <laughs> so obviously pitching that day is Chet Rocket Stedman. God, Gary Busey. <laughs> One of the best characters in all of film history. And I don't know, man, the fact that he grabs his, it's the first inning, motherfucker grabs his shoulder after every pitch. Yep. He's not doing well. No. I, He's a I, little he, sore. It appears that he could use a little reconstructive surgery, um, some kind of therapy or rehabilitation is in order, but he's also throwing, if you're looking, he's bringing it <laughs> at about 38, maybe 40 miles an hour, <laughs> which... That's not very fast. You're not going to win a lot of baseball games with a starting pitcher throwing 40. But his ERA is 300. Is that good? Also high. Very, very high. Yeah. But I love to, because I can completely relate to this as a kid, being obsessed with players who don't play on a great team. Because it's it's easy to know, like, Andre Dawson for the Cubs, who I loved and is a Hall of Famer. Or Ryan Sandberg, who's a Hall of Famer. Or Mark Grace, who was at least a very good player. But it was knowing the players like Vance Law that no one's heard of. But did you be like, dude, that's Vance Law at third. Like, no one's ever heard of them. And I completely respect the screenwriting. But I also completely respect these kids being obsessed with a player who throws 40 miles an hour. Like, you just, you you have that. And I think we're led to believe that he was like a once great, incredible. Yes, you know, he was like the man at one point. Cy Young award winning pitcher, but now just doesn't have it. But I'm I'm all in on them being completely obsessed and yelling from the crowd, like, you know, all that shit except for the cheese. I just, I still don't get the cheese, Again, man. With the cheese. With the goddamn cheese. I don't understand it. Yeah, I think uh, for me, uh, Brett Butler, I think he played for the Dodgers. That was the, the one player that I remembered as a kid when I would occasionally watch a Dodger game on TV. Uh, you know, him and Tom Kite. In the golf world. Those were, those were my two dudes. You've always had a real high bar for who you root for. Very, very high bar. That's true. That's true. But we, we sort of get in that game the idea that, A, there's nobody there. Because Stedman, no one. Stedman hears them from center field. Which is crazy. It's like 400 <laughs> feet away. But we also see that the old owner of the team, Mr. Carson, is senile and and it doesn't really get what's going on and he's the you know same guy we had from home alone who owned the toy store like he was the go-to old dude for kids movies in the early 90s yep and we also learned during this game that there's apparently a very weird rule if you own a major (laughs) league baseball team which is if you don't sell enough tickets you have to forfeit the franchise yeah that was interesting to me it kind of was off-putting it's like Guys, I know you want to advance the plot and you need something to get things going other than Henry's arm. But to say that if we don't sell out every game for the rest of the season, we got to forfeit. Who are you forfeiting to? Yeah. Creditors? What is going on here? Yeah, I'm not sure what happens there. That didn't sound right. But this is where we meet Dan Hedaya, who I love. Like, I think he was chewing on like a chocolate bar the entire movie because he's got this chalky delivery to every line. Yes. Where yes, he does. It, it's like a little dry mouth or something, but it works perfectly. Like it's very skeezy. It's very underhanded. He's always talking under his breath. And his conversations later with Jack are incredibly good. Yeah. So he's like, we got to we gotta get asses in the seats. What are we going to do? And then we see a, a home run. And 
you know, one of the guys in the stadium, like, tries to throw it and doesn't even get it over the basket, and people are giving him shit, right? They're like, oh, Mm -hmm. my God, how could you not throw it 25 feet? So then there's another home run, and our boy George, always there, picks it up, and he takes it back, and he's like, oh, shit, I don't want to do this on cable. And he hands it to Clark, (laughs) you know, ladies' man Clark, who's like, nah, I don't want to get razzed. And then they hand it to Henry. And he pulls it back, and I think it's the only time that they actually register somebody hearing the rubber bands, because both uh, George and Clark look at him when he pulls his arm back, and they have that, like, I don't know why I'm showing you the motion, by the way. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) For the listeners out there, Cole has been reenacting everything you do with Henry's arm the entire time. But what I think that is, is that whenever he hears it or sees it, it's just flashbacks to the childhood because I think he tried over and over again to get it to happen. And it's just, you know, it's like fetch. It's not going to happen, Cole. <laughs> it never happened, it's man. not going to do it. So Henry, no. Henry reaches back like this. You see that, Jed, right here? Yep. I got and, it. I got it. And he throws a bullet to home plate. That ball has to be like 150 miles an hour. Easily because the catcher was like taken aback by it. I know. I know. It's like, I can't even fathom how fast that ball was thrown. The catcher tries to get the runner out, which I don't think that's, I don't think that's legal. Nope, nope. You're not allowed to, once that ball lands out of play, it's, it's, it's done. That that guy didn't have to slide. It was okay. But now we get to advance the plot even more because we get this great quote. Duncan, bring me that arm. I've also said that too much in life. <laughs> Jess, if you're listening, thank you, sweetheart. I love you. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I don't know that I would say it's over the top. It's not, though. I think it's just perfect for that character. I mean, it's it's crazy. So he wants, some, he wants the arm. They find out it's Henry. Henry's a kid. He's a child. And they're like, okay, well, we can we can still get him. This is the ticket. We can sell out. We can sign him. And so then we see Henry at his house, and George and Clark are like in pillows and like a helmet and all this. Before that, though, can I just ask mm-hmm. a quick question? When he throws that home, right? The crap, like the big guy, is like giving him shit. Yeah, for showing him up. I don't and, get it. And he's like, "You're gonna show me up? What are you doing? What are you doing, kid?" It's like, um, being awesome, I guess, would be yeah. the answer to your question, dickhead. Anyway, no shit. you're right. We get home and they've decided to put on all the couch cushions and a colander, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. George's head. Yes. He had a colander. That's right. Oh, my God. But here's what gets me. It's like Henry throws it again when his when his mom and, and Jack are there. We get this great quote, which we've said so many times. Gosh, Henry, you can play for the Cubs. We get the gosh, Henry quote. I love it. It's It's so perfect. But what they've also established is Henry can throw it like a bat out of hell. He's like fast mm-hmm. as can fucking be, right? He's Randy Johnson. That there's there's a name. Wow, wow. That's point for Jed. <laughs> That's a real baseball yeah. player, Jed. That is a real baseball player. Um, I think he was called the 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 big unit. Yep. But is that it? Why don't you stop there? But you're right. <laughs> I don't want okay, you to break I'll the streak. Much like the Cubs yep. winning streak later in the movie, we are at two. So <laughs> that's true. I'm going to retire now. Um, so what happens is, is we see that while Henry can throw fast, motherfucker ain't got no control. Mm. And now Cole, as someone who's played an extensive amount of baseball, 
it's great that, you know, when you can pull some passes out of your ass and you can, like, throw <laughs> some baseballs real fast. But unless you get them in a very specific zone known as the strike zone, you're not going to be able to pitch. I just don't, like, they kind of gloss over that fact the entire time. And they have Stedman work with him a little bit once he gets on the team. Yep. But he works with him for a day, and then all of a sudden Henry's like, all right, straight heat, baby. It's all that native ability, man. He's got that natural talent. Gotta be it. But yeah, he he throws it real hard, and it goes through like the window, and, and Mom and Jack see it, and they freak out. And then Jack's on the phone with the Cubs. Uh, like five minutes later. Let's get him, let's get him a, a tryout. And so Jack's like excited about it. The mom is not, which I find a little weird. I do, I get that she's concerned about her kid, and I like that slant to her character that she's never like obsessed with the success or anything like that. She's always just clearly trying to protect her kid. I do like that, but yeah. it's weird to me that she's like, man, this is like really cool. Like, <laughs> like it's it's incredible, right? Yeah. They uh they get Sal comes to the house, and this is a part that I never really buy is. Albert Hall's a good actor, and he shows up, but he doesn't know he's looking for a kid? Yeah, I don't... I, this It sticks out to me every time, too, because everyone's established the fact that it's a kid that we're looking for, and that's yeah. the whole thing. And he's like, is your dad home? And then Henry does that, my dad? Yeah. Like, okay, let's pump the brakes here, Dan, on, on this acting here. Let's just, let's just bring it back, remember what movie you're making, and okay, yeah. let's move on from that. And so... They see him pitching at like the fucking local park and he's throwing it and they're like, oh, 101, 103. No, he's throwing that ball about 150. Yeah, it's like 286. It's very fast. Very, very fast. This is Steve Nebraska level heat that we're talking about. Love that reference. Love that. That's awesome. But basically throws three pitches and that's it. Very different from what happens in talent for the game in the beginning. (laughs) Also true. Also true. <laughs> Where it's, you threw two pitches, you ain't got it because you threw them down in a coal mine yep. and you don't have a curve. Yep. You didn't ask me to throw a curve. <laughs> I never threw That's you a, a curve ball. Film. Don't even worry about that. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's, That's an it, Edward man. James almost classic. Don't worry. That may show up in recommendations. Stick around. <laughs> it, it might. It might. But I can tell you one that won't. And that's trouble with the curve. Nope. Nope. <laughs> don't watch that. So Henry signed. They had the press conference. It's like... They don't want to show off the arm, all that kind of stuff. And then now we get to Wrigley. So, like, he's there. He's ready to go. And he's, like, walking through. And there's all these adults. And he, like, sees Chet Stedman. And he's like, I want an autograph. And then Stedman's like, I don't do autographs. (laughs) I do love how Busey gives that grunt after, like, every line. His his first line in the movie literally is... That's, yep. I just want to see the script. I've never tried to look it up to see if it just says, uh. But right after we meet Stedman, we meet the character to me that is the absolute standout, Mm. played by the director, Daniel Stern, Phil Brickma. I've been wanting to get to Brickma the whole time. I just, uh, top five character in uh, comedy ever. Easy, easy, easy. It's insane how good he is in this fucking movie and how funny he is. He steals every scene, but he's not overused. He's not. That's the whole thing is there's not too much of him. No, it's just a perfect amount because when you forget about him, he comes back 
And it's it's just it's just genius. It's like Daniel Stern knew what he was doing. The man knows comedy, and he he used himself to perfection in this film. And one of one of my things is like clearly this movie is near and dear to his heart. He he yes. directed it, but he loves it. And when the Cubs had their World Series run in 2016, I encourage everybody to go out to YouTube and look it up. He did some YouTube videos as Brickma. Like it, it's yep. it's so great. Like. I love it when actors or performers or writers or whoever are that connected to their work because you end up with something this awesome. But those videos are hilarious. And this character is so funny. And 99 times out of 100, this character is over the top to the point you can't watch it. There's an accent or something that doesn't make any sense. And he's in eight minutes more of the movie than he needs to be. Mm -hmm. And it's just not the case. I mean, he's maybe six, six scenes, maybe? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, it's not much. And... He is so great, and he's the one who is sort of makes you feel safe for Henry being like in the locker room. Yeah, that, I yeah, think they exactly. use that character because when he walks in, nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to give him the time of day. They're professionals. What's this kid bullshit? I don't care. But then you 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 start to worry about him because Henry's also like you know oh shit look at these big guys whatever. But then when Brickman comes yeah. in, you're like okay he's safe. There's somebody going to be looking after him. It's cool. And Brickma breaks it down for him, and yeah. he tells him what he's gonna do. And I just, I just love this. Hi, Henry. Nice to meet you, Mr. Brickma. Welcome to the big show. Now, it's gonna take a lot of work. It's gonna take a lot of sweat. But eventually, I'm gonna mold you into one of the greatest twelve-year-olds that ever played this game. Now. <gasps> <gasps> I think we quote in our real lives rookie of the year too much for 36 year old men. I, that's, that's very, that's very true Yeah, because people don't know we're quoting it because people don't know the quotes from this film. It's because it's 26 years ago, but sure, I guess that's on them, (laughs) but it's, there's, there's a delicacy in the way that he delivers these lines. And when, when you're watching them and when he's like eating the seeds and when he chokes on the seeds and then his voice goes really high, but it's not too loud and high. It's not over the top. It, it's hard to yeah. express how great and subtle that performance is when you're talking about a caricature type of performance. It's incredible. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing. But we get to August 11th. That's Henry's first game. Yep. So, Cole, you want to take the people through real quick how the baseball season, like, when it when it starts and when it normally ends. Yeah. I, I was a little confused here. I mean, this would be sort of the end of the baseball season. We just had the All-Star break, which is usually around July 4th. And then okay. you've got a couple of months. The season usually ends the end of September. Playoffs go through October. So he and would when does have baseball start? April. End of April. April. Okay, okay. So I guess it does kind of line up with when he broke his arm because it was around opening day. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, I think the timeline actually plays out where, you know, when you're watching a movie like Little Big League. Uh, or I'm sorry, not Little Big League. Angels in the Outfield where, like, the season just doesn't even make sense. But <laughs> the uh, this movie's timeline makes sense. I think they do say they've only got 15 games left or something, which is a little. They probably have more like 30, 35, but that's yeah. not that big of a deal. But they, they have Henry's first game, and we've got, you know, he gets in the game to try and save the game, which doesn't make sense that he's in the dugout. 
Yep. Feels like if they want to use him as a reliever, he's going to be parked out in the bullpen. Yep. But uh, he comes up, and they're playing the Mets. This is very much uh, a, a major league riff where, oh, the first team you got to be playing is the team that's going to, you know, you're going to be up against at the end of the movie. We got to meet these characters, particularly. We got to meet Hito. Now, that was not a real baseball player, was it? No, that was not a real baseball player. Because that man was juicing for sure. Yes, yes. He, I don't know if he was juicing or if he was just an extra from over the top who was eating cigars and drinking motor oil. <laughs> that uh, A rookie of the year over the top crossover. Now you're talking. <laughs> but first guy he pitches to hits the ball 500 feet out of the park and it's this you know, he's like an MVP and he's talking shit yep. to Henry when he's going around the bases and, you know, all that stuff. And then Henry hits the next guy. And honestly, I still don't get why he throws the way he does. I'm just kind of convinced that Thomas Ian Nicholas did not ever really play baseball and no one kind of taught him how to throw because it doesn't make sense. Sort of this mechanical. He's almost throwing like a robot. Okay. But that's all right. I'm gonna try and not let not let that bring me down or, or bog me down too much. Right. And talking about the rest right. of the movie, but he hits a guy, throws a wild pitch. But in this crazy, you know, swarm of events, they get the out they need. They win the game five four, and Henry gets a save. So he essentially yeah. did the job. He closed the game out. It's perfect. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. I don't get how the fuck they had five runs and the other team had only scored four when we saw what Stedman was doing in terms of pitching. I yeah. Just, I, don't, I don't get it, I, but uh, fine. It's fine. I'll yeah. let that go. Look, looked like he was getting roughed up a little bit, but apparently yeah. uh, some guys made some good plays. Exactly. So we get we get in afterwards, and we see everybody kind of doing the post-game stuff, and, and then we get another hint of Brickma's just genius advice. Key to being a big league pitcher is the three R's. Readiness, recuperation, and conditioning. You see, after the game, a lot of guys like to ice up their arm. Still other fellas think that heat is the way to go. But I have discovered the secret, Henry. Hot ice. That's right, hot ice. I heat up the ice cubes. It's the best of both worlds. But I have discovered the secret. Hot ice. <laughs> That's all you need. That's all you need. That's all you need. Yep. So after the game, we, we go back to school, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like I, I did too. I, I was a I don't little know how it worked out. I was a little confused about the timeline because they would be in another grade and it would be August. I don't know that school had started yet. Yeah, that's what I was confused about. Is like he it's uh, it's also how does he have time to go to school? Because there's like a thousand baseball games <laughs> in a season. Yeah, they probably would give him a tutor if this was to happen in real life, but at least. Yeah. We get him and Julie the cat talking together. And so they're sitting at the same table. Now, she had never talked to him before. So I'm at this point a little concerned about some sort of uh, celebrity wannabe. Now he's now I can talk to him because he's, you know, hot shit. I'm a little concerned about yep. her, uh, you know, what she what she wants out of my boy Henry right now. Her motivation is uh, is, is, is in question, no doubt. They uh, they have a very awkward conversation. Uh, George, on the other hand, is just, again, all in on the girl he's talking yep. to, Tiffany, yep. flirting with her. Who thinks his name is Roger. <laughs> to which he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't doesn't matter. Clark, <laughs> you don't know what the fuck you're do doing, man. Okay. 
<laughs> so they, they get that going on. And then kind of out of nowhere, we get to them next to the lake with this boat. Yeah. Just have a random boat, which again, I think is a great sort of device that they use to show how close these kids are together. And also the stupid shit you do when you're 12. Uh-huh. Like the, the weird projects and, and this motor that they stole from somebody. They got it from somewhere, and I don't think it was legal. <laughs> I mean, they, they're like hijacking this motor, and then they make a comment about like, oh, you asked your dad, right? No, I didn't ask dad. So it just basically, I think they stole it from a neighbor. Agreed, agreed. And I guess they have this big plan to build this boat. Yeah, they're going to make a boat and take it on, you know, the lake, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's up there. The Chicago River. I sort of felt like the, the boat was kind of out of nowhere. Plus, yeah. it looked yeah, yeah. like they lived like downtown in the rest of the movie. And this is very much a lake. So they are out of the city at this point. Like, on the at least the outskirts of the city, as far as I would know. Because, you know, the Chicago River runs through the middle of downtown. And that was looked like a suburb to me. But now we get another game. And it's another home game. And Stedman's been working with Henry for like one day. Mm-hmm. And he has to go give him a pep talk. Some genius advice. What are you doing out here? Well, what am I supposed to do? Deal from your have to. Uh, my, 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 my what? what are you, the have to. Are you, are you speaking English? The have to is what you use when you're afraid. Okay. Okay, you got it? Listen to me. Okay. Everybody is half win and half lose. Okay. The lose half is afraid. Right. The winning half is fearless. Fearless. Right. The have to is inside. It's where the fear lives. Oh, okay. Okay? Could you start over again? Oh, let's play ball! I have to. Let's see it. I have to. What the heck was I talking about? What the heck was he talking about? Yeah, I don't know what that is either, Chet. But <laughs> I have to, But it's, it's great. Like, it, it's great. He doesn't know how the fuck to talk to a kid. He doesn't. But Henry gets loose, and now he's letting it fly, and now he's starting to find his rhythm. All of a sudden, he has control. Yep. I don't know how that happened. And like things are things are rolling for him, you know. Stedman signs a ball for him at the at the end of the game. You know the kids are out there on the field, and you know Stedman. That's where he's like rocking the blazer, the red button down, them tight ass fucking jeans. Yep. And Mary's like, you know, Henry's mom is she wants some. Yeah, she, she wants someone to Chet Stedman. She's she like, wants that high stinking Cheddar. <laughs> Found my brand. It's this guy exactly. right here. And, exactly. And so the kids are playing around and we get we get these kind of sparks flying between Mary and Chet and then we have to get onto a road trip. They finally have to go on the road. So yeah. they're running through O'Hare and you know Mary's all worried. She floats up the sunscreen again and then we get, you know, uh Brickma saying, "Oh my god, the floater pitch." And then we kind of get that you know, big yeah. heaping dollop of foreshadowing uh exactly. that we're going to need to to finish up the movie, but he's going on the trip and Stedman or uh, Brickma's trying to tell him kind of all these stupid things uh, about conserving food and doing all this <laughs> stupid shit. And then he's talking to Stedman and Stedman's actually making an effort. And I'm not really sure why I, that never. Yeah, I don't know what's happened. That never makes sense because it literally happens in a day. The only thing that makes sense to me is that he wants to fuck Henry's mom. I guess. I mean, yeah, he like he's smitten. He's smitten with her. I guess because he turns on a dime with like wanting to help the kid out. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely sexually motivated. Excellent, I guess. And uh, you know, apparently he's not a foodie 
because <laughs> he is enamored with his meal. Have a seat. All right. What'd you get? Ah, chicken fingers. How are they? Good. How about you? One of the best Salisbury steaks I've ever had in my life. You want some? Sure. That's an airplane Salisbury steak. Chet, you're a professional fucking baseball player. You guys play <laughs> all over the country. I know you guys go out to fucking dinner. Like, what are you talking about, man? Yeah, there's no such thing as a great Salisbury steak. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I also want to go back to one second. Like, Brickma, the way he explains, well, I take this brownie and I take my vomit bag and I put it in the vomit bag. I seal it up, put it in my coat. That's breakfast. <laughs> I, I lose it every time, man. And it's such a stupid thing. But his delivery is so fucking genius. And the, and the, just, the, the facial hair, too, sells it. Like, the whole haircut, oh God, the, everything. The look is incredible. So now we're on this road trip, and as part of being on a road trip, you get to stay in a hotel. And Brickma and Henry have adjoining rooms. But Brickma ends up getting stuck because the two doors, one sticks. And, I mean, Brickma and the Bellman, who are basically the same person. Yep. That was hilarious. That guy's great, too. And I also love that they have Henry go and grab that, exactly what a kid would do. Go and grab the big box of candy and shit and go to town. And then they go, like you said, they go and play the Dodgers. And and they finally have Henry starting games. He's not going to close games. He's starting games. Yeah. One of the things that you have to do if you start a game is you have to pick up a bat. (laughs) and uh the way that they portray henry batting is just so incredibly good because it's exactly what i think i mean i would have felt i I played baseball and i would have felt scared shitless to step in a batter's box against a pro pitcher i no shit it would have it would have scared the hell it would scare the hell out of me today are you kidding me but i mean i don't think i would have had that fear i mean you've seen me at the batting cages like i don't care how fast the ball is when you got that hand eye i've seen you you go there and your younger self at the batting cages. We don't need to discuss that. That's not a thing. That's, you know, whatever. But the, uh, so the, he's, he's gets walked in, in kind of a funny scene. And then I have no idea where this kid gets the confidence to get on first base and start talking shit to the pitcher. No kidding. I don't understand it. I don't, he's, cause he's such a nervous kid. In yeah, general, and he's like, "Oh, I'll get on first and start playing little league shit." <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. It doesn't make any sense to me. I love it. I'm very it's excited crazy. about it, but it also yeah. doesn't make sense to me that the kid seems to never remember he's in a goddamn baseball game. <laughs> no, when he looks after he after he steals second, and then they get a hit, and he like looks or whatever, and it's like, uh, what what's going? <laughs> there are so many times he's in a baseball game where like. The, the player will hit the ball he's pitching. He just puts the glove over his face. It's like, nope, yep. you're going to have to still pay attention to what's going on. <laughs> Occasionally, that's going to happen. He ain't Billy Chappell, that's for sure. No, he's no Billy Chappell. I do, I do have an interesting question, though, because we have a nice little montage of this road game um, and this, this road trip, in, in a way. I don't know, Cole. Like, We don't need to get into what happened with steroids and all that, but... Barry Bonds looks a little smaller back then. Yeah, this was the um, deflated Barry Bonds, <laughs> who was at the time the reigning MVP. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Barry Bonds was maybe the best player of his generation before steroids. So we figured out why he became what he became afterwards, because he was unbelievable. I, I just, his head is like four sizes smaller than it is now. Mm-hmm. 
Skinny man. It's crazy. He was a skinny man. Yeah. He had pop. He had speed. Dude was in the 40-40 club. Like, he was unbelievable and then became superhuman. Well, he but he wasn't Kerry Wood. We know that. Nobody is. Absolutely nobody is. <laughs> so he, uh, and what I like about this movie, and I've mentioned it in kind of other movies that have this, and I always will because I appreciate it when they get the licensing. So they were playing the Pirates, and they were playing the Cardinals, and they were playing the Expos, and they were playing the Dodgers. And that adds so much credibility to the baseball scenes, like you said, looking right. Because we're yeah. not we're not playing the Dunville Stingrays or whatever. Like it's not we're we're yeah. really playing actual uh, baseball teams. And even though for the Mets and, and the the Dodgers, even they don't have real players for them in the montage. He's striking out Pedro Guerrero. He's striking out Bobby Bonilla. He's striking out Barry Bonds, who were three gigantic players at the time. So I I loved that. Like as a kid, I got the biggest kick out of that. It's very well done. Very well done. So they get back from the they get back from LA and they land and like everybody's going nuts because the Cubs are like in the chase now like they're yeah they're in the hunt uh, they're winning a ton of games and they run through O'Hare and they get in this limo and Chet and Henry get in the limo with his mom and Chet's like ah just take me down to the next one I'll grab a cab and they're like no 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 we we did the, we got this huge limo like we'll take you whatever and then again like and this is what makes me just want to slap the shit out of Henry. Uh, as a 10-year-old, I don't want to beat a child now. I'm just saying when I was 10 or 11 <laughs> years old, I was like, dude, you're being such a moron. Who looks at their mom and is like, oh, I learned this on the road, babe. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. It's just, he comes off like a fucking idiot. Yeah, it's it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And I also love that he's looking up at Chet and he's like, you want a cocktail? He's like, I'd love one. And then he goes, you want some club soda then? That's not a cocktail. If you're going to offer me a cocktail, <laughs> don't hit me with a mixer and nothing else, all right? Like you want Yeah, you better at least be busting out a strawberry daiquiri or something for me. <laughs> you want to play in the big leagues? You better be mixing something hard in there. So Apple teenies. So they get in and they you know, they, they kind of drive off and they're still kind of building this potential relationship between Mary and Chet. And then we go to the party. This party is like insane. I don't know what it's for. I don't get it either. That's the thing. It's like what are we celebrating? It's like Tuesday. We're going to have a party. Yeah. There's They've won nothing. They didn't, Mm-mm. you know, it's not a division title. It's not an NLCS. They haven't won no. anything yet. They're just like, well, we got a day off. We might as well have this gigantic, like, tuxedo <laughs> party. Brickmas Tux, by the way. I mean, yeah. Choice. Choice. So good. Really, his philosophy on life is just, oh, yeah. everything he does is perfect. I love when they're going to try to play pinball and there's some ladies in the way and Brickma responds with, Let me show you how to enjoy all the lights and the bells and the whistles. And remember now, it's all free. Shall we? Excuse me, ladies. Excuse me. Thank you. All right now. Oh, Let boy, pinball. All Come on, women. It's just <laughs> And then when he pushes Henry away, he gets to the Yeah. He gets the he's like, I, I'm first. He's like, get the fuck out of here. I mean, Brickman is literally like one of the kids. That's what's, you know, because he got beaned, you know, got beaned by the manager. Back in the minors, I've been following him around and all that stuff. So, 
Anyway, we advance the plot more now because now we discover how Jack has become more and more evil. He's Henry's manager, and Fish wants to sell Henry to the Yankees for $25 million. So the Yankees want to get Henry for $25 million. Jack is like, okay, I'll do it, but I need Stedman to be gone. Yeah, you see Jack getting really pissed off because Stedman and Mary are dancing very close. Yeah. And everybody yeah. knows if, if Busey's dancing with your girl... You're done for. It's, you out. Like, that's it. So, And this is their, like, five-week anniversary, so they're, like, pretty much married. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and he's the manager, which she didn't know about, but yep. Jack he, is his manager. She signed some shit, and she didn't even wasn't even aware, so yep. good momming there. Excellent. Way to read. I would, you know, yep. might, might want to focus just a little bit more, but... They uh they get this this sort of plan together, get her to sign this, and I'll dump Stedman. So that's sort of what we're moving towards. And we also kind of get this uh this montage of all the things that Henry's having to do aside from baseball. Yeah. That is sort of taking him out of his comfort zone, which is like, look, I like playing for the Cubs, but equally I like hanging out with my friends. Equally, mm-hmm. I like going to school in August or whatever. But it's it's very interesting to me, and this never totally tracked, where he's filming the Pepsi commercial and it's taking forever because he can't memorize the words. And yeah. again, this is the scene where Thomas Ian Nicholas says he was singing too well and so had to ADR uh-huh. that on the back end. Very well may have been the case. I don't know. And this is also where uh, Jack slyly gives Mary the contract to sign because yeah. she's getting frustrated. She's like, I can't believe it's taking so long. Signs the contract, doesn't know what she's signing. But then they come back, and he's like, he apparently had to meet the boys to work on the boat. And it is incomprehensible to me how pissed off George is that Henry isn't helping with the boat. Like, I don't get it at all. Can you please explain that to me? Look, I understand it from the standpoint of him as a friend who is like, look, we're happy you're playing for the Cubs, but you should still be able to hang out with us and you haven't been part of this. This is basically like, okay, so you've seen the film 21. Yes. I I watch everything with Jacob Pitts. Exactly. So it's the same dynamic happens there. And they, and they got it in the movie 21. They got it from rookie of the year because when Jim Sturgis's character is not working on the five two nine competition or whatever the fuck it was in there to have the, the device that can basically, is like an autonomous vehicle that can get through a maze. He's been going to Vegas. He's been partying. He hasn't been there. And then when he finally gets there, like they're pretty much done. And he was responsible for this one chip and this chip fucking failed. So all of that is lifted from rookie of the year. And that's where they got that from. But it's just, his friends are like, look, you need to make time for us. We know you're doing other shit, but you still need to be able to make time for us. And there's, there's levels and layers here to this. And like this explosion of a fight that happens is very cathartic for everyone involved. You know, Clark is trying to be peacemaker and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it gets to me. It's very emotional every time. <laughs> <laughs> I held it together as long as I could, man. So did I, man. <laughs> because if I'm Henry, I'm looking at him like, I'm not trying to flex here, but I'll buy you a fucking boat. Like, yeah, you know that, like, I play for the Cubs, right? And then George is like, you want to play for the Cubs because you broke your arm? No shit. Yeah. Okay. I'm 12. I'm sorry that I have a talent now. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. It was kind of out of nowhere to me, but hey, kids can be kids. Very selfish, the children, I understand. So they're going to keep working on the boat, whatever. But like you said, they sort of get through the whole thing and we then move on to this like rain delay. 
Yeah. Because Henry's really pissed off about what's going on with his friends. And this is where Chet finds out from Fish, you're sitting out the rest of the year, then we're releasing you. Your shoulder's shot. We're not waiting around anymore. Which, by the way, smart baseball move. I don't care if it's for <laughs> devious motives. You know what? If we're going to make it to the playoffs, we get that expanded roster. We might need the slot. Chet can't throw it through a paper bag. So let's get somebody in here who might be able to bring a little more heat to the mound. I'm just saying. Makes sense. So then she get or, uh, Henry gets a ride home, and we get kind of the one really sort of serious scene in the movie where Henry gets home, he's late for a photo shoot, and Jack's like manhandling him a little bit. Oh, he's being a total fucking dick. Yeah, and he's like putting his hands on him, shaking him a little bit, and he's like, I, yeah. when I tell you to do something, I had a limo waiting for you here, and I had, you were supposed to do this and that and whatever. And, you know, Henry says the classic thing that all kids say, which is like, you're not my dad. And this is when Jack like loses his mind. He's like, fuck your dad. Your mom probably doesn't even know who she is, which is a cold ass thing to say. Totally. Totally. Whoa. Like, I don't know that the 12 year old me caught that, but <laughs> once I got old enough to catch like, oh, he just, he just called your mom a whore. So... Your mom was fucking so many different dudes. <laughs> yeah. Like... She has no idea which one you are. Right. Right. And so... Mary comes down and puts the kibosh on the whole thing and punches him like out the door, down the stairs. Oh, she's got she's got an arm, okay. And what I love, and this is so funny to me, is he gets kicked out and he's like, it didn't even hurt, whatever. But inside, they're like celebrating and high-fiving. And Hank's like, yeah, you, you really punched him. And she kind of muffles and it's kind of in the background. But she goes, I don't know, maybe I should have killed him. I know, I caught that too. I thought, <laughs> whoa. Love that field here. I loved that. That was so great. Don't fucking cross Mary. No, it's a lesson for Chet. No, uh, yeah, Chet, you better come correct because Mary ain't fucking around. But this is good because now Jack's out of the picture. So what I love is that we we saw this. This is really good direction. It's really good movie making, in my opinion, because we saw this thing developing and then they killed it really quickly just as quickly as we saw it kind of develop right so they didn't harp on it it was the perfect amount of stuff it was all great now all we have to do is deal with fish right like we got we got to deal with him but i, I love it because jack's gone after that two minutes you don't scene. need exactly there's no other like oh i have an ulterior thing that i have a backup plan for this if they were to remake this that would be more of a plot that we, they would harp on it more but no it's it's all you really needed you don't need heavy fucking drama in this movie no, like that. no it's it's Taken care of perfectly. And then we also have to make up... This is where clearly we start kind of cleaning out the closet. Yeah, we're tying up some loose ends. Yeah, we got to make up with George and Clark. So they meet back at the boat. And they do exactly what 12-year-old boys do, which is like, ah, fuck it, man. Like, whatever. Like, let's let's ride in the boat. And uh, the boat is not in great shape. No, I definitely got an oil leak of some kind. And Mm -hmm. they are burning through it. Yeah, I don't work on engines. I'm not real familiar with them. But I know... That that was a fire hazard? Yeah, it wasn't good. And the boat does not look super safe, but they pull up to the beach and they get the ladies. They're like, ladies, we got this (laughs) crate of Cheetos and Doritos with your name on it. So why don't you get on in? And then we get the full-blown, hardcore make-out sesh of the movie. (laughs) Where Julie the cat leans over and kisses Hank on the cheek. Uh Uh-huh. Hardcore. I mean, I I think it's very clear, but as a 10, 11-year-old through probably most of high school, I had a serious crush on Julie the cat Gaffney. Who didn't? Yeah. 
serious crush. Like, not only was she in this film, when she showed up, glove hand to win the Junior Goodwill Games. Yep. Kill me. I was done for. It was over. I, I hear you, man. She was she was amazing. And so now what we end up doing is they picked up the babes and we have to figure out what Henry's going to do here because <laughs> they now we're pick up the babes. Can I also say <laughs> a really good uh, idea in this film was not to have the girls and the friends George and Clark like tag along to every scene. Yeah, I think in today's remake, you know, sadly if that were to happen. I think we have that kind of always in the clubhouse, always on, you know, they got to go on the road, like all that stuff. And I, I think that it's really smart the way they kind of kept them out of it or kept them at arm's length. Exactly. But now Henry, when he gets home, he wants to talk to his mom because he's decided like, look, I got to be done after this season because this almost cost me my friendship. I'm still just a fucking 12 year old kid. I want to live my life. It's great playing for the Cubs. But now I realize like everyone has that dream of something they think they really want and he got it. And now he realizes I'm not ready for it yet. I, I want to go back to being a kid. I don't like the Pepsi commercials. I don't like all the other shit I got to deal with. Who knows how much practice this fucker has to do. I have no idea what's involved there. But anyway, he talks to his mom. So now they get to go and talk to uh, Fish and the owner. And that's when the owner finds out, oh, we didn't want to sell you. What happened? Blah, blah, blah. The blow up with Fish. And we're 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 done with all that. So all the hurdles in the plot, all the negative antagonists, all that's done now. We're we're all done. Now we can focus on the division championship, where in which the the winner goes to the World Series. Don't know how that works. Can I just say real quick that this is the part in the movie where I'm like, "Fuck you, Henry Rowan Gardner." Really? So you don't like his choice? Absolutely not. Like. As a ten-year-old, I'm like, I, I, but, but you play for the Cubs. I, I don't understand. You want, you want to have friends. You know what, you know what, you can still have if you play for the Cubs. Friends, you can still have that. It's okay. It's a six-month season. So okay, we know what Cole would have done had he been in. Yep. Rosenblatter's uh, situation. Yeah. yeah. If I, if I was Rosenbagger's, uh, you know, mental coach, I would have been like, sorry, play for the Cubs. Come on, run a mucker. <laughs> But yes, we do get to the division championship where uh, this was before they actually had three divisions in each league. So there wasn't a central division. You just had the East and the West. And the division championship winner does not go to the World Series. But the division championship does take place in the playoffs, right? Yes. So they're in the playoffs. I don't know when the fuck they got to the playoffs. But this is the game. If they win this and they beat the Mets, then they get to go on to the World Series in this universe. Yes. Brickma, of course, has to get his lucky seeds. Gotta get them seeds. Get stuck in the cage. I, I know, you know, Rachel is big into sunflower seeds. I still have... Big time into sunflower seeds. A bunch of bags, like, when I'm prepping for trial or really anything working late, like, I've got bags of seeds in my office. So I understand having to have those seeds to get your shit done. I, I'm all in on Brickma with this particular superstition. Now, how good how good are you at popping these seeds? Like, can can people like five offices away here when you pop that seed in your mouth to crack that shell open? No, I mean, I'm a human. I mean, I'm an expert. Nobody can hear it. Well, there you go. I mean, Rachel, <laughs> I can hear it from downstairs. No, I mean, I don't do it with my mouth open. I do it with my mouth closed. 
I think she enjoys making the popping sound. I really do. Well, it's like, I, you know, the girls with the with the bubble gum and stuff like that. Now, hey, to eat to each their own, but no, I, I kind of each their own, but yeah. I keep she's mine popping off. Mine mine's a personal satisfaction, so I don't I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. You don't need to involve everyone else with it. Exactly. I'm gonna talk to her about that. <laughs> I'm glad you aired that out here in public. That's great. No, of course. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, they're in the playoffs here. This is for the World Series somehow. Um, the, the Mets and the Cubs back then could never have played each other to go to a world series. They were in the same division. Wouldn't have worked out, but interleague play. I got you. We're on the same page, <laughs> but here they're, they're, they're doing it. Rocket's going to start, which he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm going to start. Now I'm all nervous. We got the owner sitting down with the people thinks hot dogs are a quarter, which I'll be honest with you, I kind of miss the days where hot dogs were only three bucks, but whatever. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Uh, but, you know, they're playing a good game. Uh, Stedman's throwing heat. He's doing awesome. Yeah. This is this is the old rocket. Henry's going ape shit. The, the team's playing great. And then we have, you know, Stedman. You can see he's kind of getting tired. He's getting in a little bit of a jam. And I guess this would be what we call the whammy bar scene. <laughs> it's something man that guitar sound whoa so yeah uh, we get that sound which i guess means that your arm is gonna fall off you're done you're, you're yeah you're i'm listening it. my whole life waiting for that sound because it's gonna happen one day and i'm like hope oh, that's it no more pitching you're not gonna be able to do all that pitching that you're doing now you'll be done exactly with it. i'll be done so but he does this there's a really good sequence of slow motion and it's all yeah. like Speeding up and slowing down, and I know we talked about it a lot in the Varsity Blues episode, but when you slow down the action and speed it up and kind of play with time that way, it makes it look so much better. It covers a lot. Oh, it really of, does. It covers a lot of issues that you have with actors not being able to actually play the sport or get the timing or, or anything like that. So uh, they get out of it, and then we've got to have we got to have Henry come in and kind of close off the show. But I'm a little concerned about Sal's managerial ability uh-huh they're playing to go into the world series according to cliff murdoch but then after stedman comes out sal looks at him as like you gave me six or eight innings i'm saving you for the playoffs i'm very confused yeah because you should already be in the playoffs yes as the manager of the cubs in the division t- uh, series you should know that you're in the playoffs you should be aware of that and what pisses me off is very similar to the wimbledon issues is these are so fucking simple to fix yeah I don't. I really want to talk to Daniel Stern or whoever. Come on, the writer, just explain to us. Like, don't you just see this whenever you see the film? Like, how the fuck did this happen? Yeah. Like, come on. And, and I'm not even mad about it. It's just a very curious. Like, I really want to know how, how exactly how strike one how. But <laughs> so Henry comes in and he's on fire. He's just mowing dudes down left and right. Totally. Can't can't fuck with him. Uh, and then. We get this. The Cubbies are one inning away from the division championship, completing the most improbable season in baseball history. You're on. One more inning. One inning, Henry. Okay, please. Get us through this inning, and I'll never ask you for anything else as long as I live. Please, please. Okay, but this is the last time. Thank you. Thank you. So we got one inning left. Yep. We got one inning left. And I I kind of get sad at this point for a couple of reasons. One, 
clearly the movie's coming to an end. Two, probably not going to get too much more Brickma. Nope. Nope. Not nearly enough. But, uh, so one more inning for Henry. You got Sal begging him on his knees. Please, kid, please do this for me. You can do, I please, I'll do anything. And he's like, don't worry, Sally, baby. I got this for you. Which again, I just don't understand the nicknames <laughs> from Henry. But he goes out <laughs> yeah. and apparently is not somebody who learns from previous mistakes. Uh-uh. Nope. Because he runs out there and he trips on a ball in the exact same way he did in the beginning. So motherfucker doesn't look where he's going. He needs to start doing that. And he falls on that shoulder again. And I guess that loosened the tendons. He went so high. It's like, dude, rotate. Yeah. Rotate. Do a gainer. No. If you do a Something. gainer, you roll on the other shoulder. You won't pop those tendons. Again, for the listeners out there, Cole is demonstrating a gainer. And showing how the tendons will not be affected. Yes, I was. Did you see that, though, with that? <laughs> yep. No, I, I got it. You got That's it? Good. Okay. I'll keep that in mind next time <laughs> I get launched 10 feet in the air from a baseball. So, I guess, yeah, that's all the doctor needed to do was, like, throw him down on the ground again. And that loosened his tendons. And now he knows he can't, he knows he can't throw. And he tries to throw to home plate, and it bounces there because he's terrible at baseball. This is what yeah. we know. He's yeah. awful. Throwing like 50 cents first pitch at a game or something like that. It's like, it's not great. That's a rough watch. So now I have the same question you had. I know the first time we watched this together, we kind of both look at each other at the same time. We're like, well, I mean, they've got other pitchers, right? They have to have other pitchers. Just go tell them, uh, my arm's broke. I just fucking got launched 10 feet in the air and came down. You got another closer maybe yeah, in ma- the bullpen? Maybe, maybe go get Brandon down there warming up and we can bring him in. That would be great. Why don't we do it that way? So they decide not to go that route, though. Again, a little concerned about Sal's managerial aptitude. Yeah. So he decides to intentionally walk the first batter. Yep. And so runner on first, nobody out. And they're going to try. He brings in the infield and he's like, guys, I'm fucked. All right. Uh, I don't know if he uses those words exactly, but that's pretty much the gist <laughs> of what it is. I can't throw anymore. I can't do it. Yeah. I'm done. So they're coming up with, they're like devising a plan. And as the audience, you don't know what the plan is. And then it unveils a little behind the back shot of Neil Flynn. He's got the ball in his glove. Now, I, my question to you is, it's a hidden ball trick. So the runner who is taking the lead off, I believe it's called, at first. Taking a lead. Yes. Yep, and it, Henry pretends like he has the ball, but when he throws it up into the air, it's like the chalk thing to give you grip, I guess. The rosin bag, yep. And, yep, there you go. That's what I said, rosin bagger. And then the runner at first is like, oh, shit, he didn't have the ball. Let me go back to first, and that's when the first baseman just touches him with the ball. Question to you, is that legal? Yes and no. Okay. Um, it is legal, but not the way they did it. You're not okay. you're not allowed to sort of pretend you have the ball, so you can't like use another object to pretend you have the ball. So wouldn't be legal that way. You also can't be on like the mound without it. So if you're gonna pull off the hidden ball trick, you get together, the first baseman has the ball, you as the pitcher sort of walk around the mound, but you can't be on the mound. Oh. You, you can't come close to the rubber, anything like that at that time. But you're also taught as a runner. You never take a lead off the bag unless the 
uh, pitcher has his foot on the rubber. Because if your foot's on the rubber, you absolutely have to have the ball. Otherwise, it's a balk. So uh, gotcha. the, the way they did it, no. But you can do the hidden ball trick. Um, anyway, love that it works. I also love the little dance that Neil Flynn does. That little yeah, hop I like jig, that little shimmy shimmy shake. Whips it around, whips it around the horn. Loved it. Absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. So now we've got. We obviously can't do that one twice. No. So walk the next guy. One out. Runner on first. Now we got to do a different bullshit little league thing, which is <laughs> drop the ball. Whatever. You can drop the ball if that's what you want to do. I th- this one I, I never knew. Like this wasn't one we ever tried to do in little league or anything like that. But that was that's just an asinine sort of. Also, Henry, throw the ball to second base. Yeah, like you don't you don't have you don't to try need to and run. Yeah, you don't need to try and outrun him. But he he gets him. Whatever. I gets do him. like two outs. I do like that the runner is like Henry's like getting in his head. Like if I'm the runner and I'm trying to make it to the World Series, I'm just standing on first and going. I can stand here all day, son. Yeah, you're gonna have to throw that ball. Yeah, pitch, don't pitch. I don't really care. Basically, Henry is the only mentally tough player in all <laughs> of the MLB. Yep. Because he gets in everyone's fucking head. He does. It's great. It's it's crazy. But next up is obviously the one who we knew was gonna be up, and that's Hito, the guy who Henry first pitched against and hit that homer on him. But what is crazy to me is that everybody in the movie is like, oh, Oh, God, look who it is. It's Hito. Oh, my God, it's Hito. Oh, well, you don't know Hito. the lineup going into a game. Yeah. Like, that's one of those things with baseball. Is like, they don't show you the opposing team's lineup. They can just put in whoever they want. Yeah. And... Like they're... No, that's not at all the fucking case. So, <laughs> yes, they should know who the fucking guy is that's coming up. This would have been, like, the perfect time to be like, all right, maybe we'll let Hank try to figure out these first two batters, but we're going to need a real professional pitcher to throw some nasty shit to Hito. But whatever. That's okay. He uh, He gets in there, and... I love that the catcher was like, throw your fastball. Can't hit it. You can't hit it. And now this isn't like a baseball thing, um, but like me, I've never been able to play wiffle ball. Oh, really? Cannot play wiffle ball. Like the bat's too light, the ball, like I can't, I, I don't have the resistance. Fucked up with your timing, huh? I don't. I don't have any resistance in my hand. I, I've never been able to play wiffle ball. So for a guy who's expecting a 106 mile an hour heater... He misses the first one, which I kind of get. Like, I totally kind of yeah. understand that. Then the second one, he hits about 750 feet, which also tracks. But foul. Yes, foul. Not by a ton, but foul. Nope. So now that's two strikes. Dose, yep. Because a foul ball counts as a strike unless <laughs> you already have two strikes and you hit a foul ball. And you can't strike yourself out from, from foul balls. This has been Baseball Rules with Jed. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so now we get to okay. Well, he can obviously hit my quote changeup. Yep. So now he's like, "What the hell am I gonna do?" And there's this little piece of tape really bothering him in his 17, 18 year old glove that he's been wearing the entire movie. And he looks at it, and she taped over the name Mary. So it turns out this glove wasn't his dad's; it was his mom's. I mean, my mind is blown every time I see this because I didn't see it coming. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's so impactful. <laughs> You're so touched by it. Exactly. And apparently to get the emotionality out of this scene, <laughs> they actually put Thomasy and Nicholas's mom at his eyeline in the stands. Oh, really? Yeah. Daniel Stern knows what he's fucking doing. Man. A little nug there for you. I'm do- I did my research, man. Appreciate the research, I, man. I, did, I appreciate I it. I didn't want to come into this just with my heart. I wanted to come into it with my head. 
I appreciate it. So do the listeners. <laughs> so she's like, just float it. Just float it. Whatever, just float it. And so he does that little floating pitch. And I love Hito, where he's got the tongue sticking out, and he's just going yeah. crazy. And before we find out whether Hito uh, hits a home run or not, I am a little confused with like how great of a pitcher Mary was, because I'm not aware of a game other than slow pitch softball where that is a pitch. Yeah, and that's the way she even threw the sunscreen, if I recall, was like a softball pitch. Right, right. Slow pitch softball, too. Like, cause slow pitch, I've, yeah. I've yeah, seen yeah. plenty of fast pitch. Like, there's no big Where they jerk floater. their arm, like, forward and backwards and then forward again, all that. Yeah, yeah I don't know how they, they do that. Do. That's incredible to me. I don't fucking know either. It's amazing. But, so he floats it, and Hito can't catch up with that heat. Nope, nope. And he cries, and he bangs the plate. And he goes nuts, and then he never acts again for the most part. <laughs> so we get the victory. The Cubs are yeah. going to the They're series. Going to the World series. And yep. everybody's going crazy. And we get that classic Daniel Stern transition right back to somebody catching the ball over the fence. Oh, it's Henry in his Pirates uniform wearing those fucking jeans. Yes, he is. He is definitely wearing those jeans. And he's playing Little League, and he's having fun, and we see Julie the Cat. We see George and Clark. Everybody's happy. Everybody's clapping. Who's coaching? The Rocket. The Rocket. Now, what gets me is we see Henry, and he just fucking throws his fist up in the air after he catches this ball. Everyone's celebrating, and he's got a World Series ring on. They were down their two best pitchers in that World Series. Yes. So they obviously did have other pitchers, and they somehow got the job done. Yes. They were able to close it out. Uh, If you know anything about the Cubs, we're a clutch organization. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Um, So that doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) And that's it. And that's That's it, man. That's it. That's, I mean, a fucking fantastic film. I watch it all the time, at least once a year. It's so great. It really is one of those movies, and Sandlot's another one, like when uh, you uh, you and Rachel took me out for my birthday last year to the Outdoor Sandlot uh, showing. Yep. It's one of those movies like that that I actually get back to the age I was when I saw it. Because there's a lot of movies that I watched that I watched when I was a kid, and I, don't, I, I love them still, and they're great, but it's not like I sit back and like, oh, I was 10. Like, I feel like I'm 10. This one, I feel like I'm 10 years old again. It's so funny to me. Like, it's a weird emotional reaction I have to it. And it's it's a really great kids movie. And the hard part of it is, I can't speak to whether these movies are really getting made now or whether these movies are really good now because I would really never go see one because I'm not in that spot. You know, I don't, Agreed. I don't know. So I hope they are. I, I really do. But this one is... Uh, instant classic and is something that i will watch forever same here same here i mean one of the other one of the other few movies that does that for me is uh you know goodfellas it takes me back to when i was like 10 and i would come home from school every day and, and put goodfellas on while i did my homework and so every time i watch it i'm like taken back there it's it's the same kind of thing i mean a lot of people are like they kind of i i think mistake these movies for each other Really, they really, it's it's very similar. Yeah. Um, outsider kind of getting in and that kind of, there's a lot of stuff there. Real good camera work in both. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what are your recommendations off of Rookie of the Year, buddy? So off of that, I'm going to go with, uh, stick with the kind of baseball theme for a few. 
Uh, my first one is The Scout, the Albert Brooks, Brendan Fraser classic that I first saw on Comedy Central and have seen countless times since. Steve Nebraska, I mean, what more can you say? It's it's just such a great film. It really is. It's hilarious. And Brendan Fraser is one of the rare comedic actors like a Val Kilmer yeah. where he's just perfect throughout the entire thing. No one knows about this movie and it's incredible. I don't get why no one ever talks about it. I don't either. It's it's such a good such a such a good movie. It's so great. I will go with another classic, The Sandlot. Nothing needs to be said about that. Just go watch it if you haven't seen it. Uh and be ashamed of yourself if you haven't seen it. That's because true. You need to. Yeah. It's, that's a that's an actual per, that's a personal flaw if you haven't unfortunately so. it really is it really is uh, Angels in the Outfield another one of my one of my favorites the young JGL and you got the Mulroons oh, coming it, in with a cameo the, the and Dermot Mulroney classic gets a you know a touching heartwarming film basically about Danny Glover trying to adopt some kids yeah you know and yeah <laughs> I gotta get them kids <laughs> oh. <laughs> gotta get them kids. Uh, and my last one is uh, definitely Ladybugs. Jonathan Brandis and Rodney Dangerfield. Just uh, And I believe Jack A is in the yes. film as well. And I love me some Jack A. I do too. She's hilarious. She is <laughs> by, great. She's the standout of that movie. Like She Rod- really is. Rodney she Dangerfield. Really is. And I love Ladybugs too uh, with all of its problems. But it's just one that I remember watching a ton as a kid. But when you watch it now, you're like, Rodney Dangerfield is not funny. No, 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 no. That humor did not age. His his comedy style did yeah. not age. Jack A, hilarious in that movie. <laughs> oh my God. She's so fucking good. Uh, it's, just, it's just great. Well, those are mine. What about you, man? So we talked about uh, a bunch of these. So Little Big League, another one where, you know, kid gets to actually take over the team uh, and become the manager of the team. That one also uh, has some real players in it. Your, your boy, the big units in it. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Ken Griffey Jr.'s in it. Uh, some really interesting performances. Uh, you got some people in the movie taking it a little more seriously than some other folks in the movie. But, uh, <laughs> but it's it's excellent. I loved it. Uh, the Mighty Ducks trilogy, obviously. Uh, the yep. original Bad News Bears. Not the Billy Bob Thornton remake. The original with Walter Matthau. Problematic as well. That's sort of in that... Not quite in the Ladybugs uh, canon, but still... A classic, an excellent watch, but Tatum you know. O'Neill and Jackie Earl Haley. Yep, exactly. Is, yeah, and then I also want to talk about Talent for the Game. This is a tough one to find. You might have to buy the DVD. I can't <laughs> remember. It may be streaming on Amazon. This is Edward James Olmos, Lorraine Bracco. <laughs> this is uh, Edward James Olmos plays a former catcher who is a scout for the Angels and With has a foot fetish. has a big foot fetish. <laughs> Just an a, unbelievable foot fetish which I feel like probably carries over into real life because otherwise there's no reason for it to be in the film. But no. uh, it was just another one of those movies. Like, I- I'm somebody who, I, no matter how bad the baseball movie is, I'll still watch it. Like, even yeah. Trouble with the Curve, which I don't like, I'm like, yeah, but it's got baseball. So got baseball. Uh, the last one I'm going to tell you, and if you haven't watched any of the recommendations, but you have seen Angels in the Outfield... Google or go to YouTube and type in if angels in the outfield happened for real. It's a five minute spoof on ESPN's 30 for 30, where they go into the magical season of angels in the outfield. And it is 
one of the funniest five minutes. I think College Humor made it. It's one of the funniest little five-minute spoofs you're ever going to see. So those are my recommendations. I hope you guys had fun with us. It was just, we wanted to do a light movie. It, it was just a blast. Yeah, man, it was it was great. Uh, this was so much fun. I love this film. And we got a lot of good films coming up soon. We're going to be doing My Cousin Vinny shortly. And we got plenty other scheduled and some good deep dives and some retrospectives and stuff like that. So we really appreciate you guys listening. You can email us at cigaretteburnspodcast at yahoo.com. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at sickburnspod. And please rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. We'll probably ignore the latter, but work on, really enjoy the former. <laughs> um, but no, in all, in all seriousness, we love the interaction we've been getting with you guys on Twitter and Instagram. We really, really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going and doing all this because we just have a blast and we love the fact that you guys are enjoying it. So, Cole, uh, I think that's about it, right? Yep. I'll see you next week, guys. Later, birders. Later, birders.